Welcome into the BetUS College Football Show. It is week 13, and it is the culmination of the 2022 regular season. And we have got a big, big show today. We are discussing 15 football games, and, and of course, we have the Q&A that we are going to hit at the end. So I think we're in for a good time. A good time. It's going to be a little bit of a rapid-fire format. I am your host, Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter, at GaryWCE. Hopefully everybody is having a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving week thus far, and we hope that you all have a happy Thanksgiving once you get there. Let me go ahead and introduce our experts. Of course, on the left side of the screen, we've got Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter. He is the numbers guy, the numerical guru, if you will. He is our analyst. Parker, how are you feeling about Rivalry Week? Gary, I'm feeling great, and i got to tell you, during Rivalry Week, I stopped being the numbers guy and start being the message board guys, because let me tell you, I've been reading some stuff about coaches leaving, moves happening in back corridors, there's so much uh, nonsense and fun college football stuff going around, all of these games this weekend are really fun, I'm excited to get into them, and you guys know I talk fast and I'm high energy, I'm ready to have a talk fast, high energy show and get to all these games. Oh, most certainly, yes. Coach changing season, which is coming on Monday, is really one of my most favorite times of year because of the mayhem, because of the chaos, which is kind of what today's show is going to be, right? We're just going to be rolling through games, uh, giving you our opinions on what exactly is going to happen here. Uh, But yes, I absolutely love this time of year. Of course, on the right side of the screen, Kyle Hunter. He is our award-winning professional handicapper. He's at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Kyle, how are you feeling, my friend? Feeling good, man. I, I'm looking forward to this uh, organized chaos we got coming here today. Oh, most certainly. We got a lot of things to get through. Let me go ahead and tell everybody first uh, the show next week will be live Tuesday and Wednesday. We will not have a show tomorrow. Of course, it is Thanksgiving week. That's why we're doing so many games today. But next week, Tuesday and Wednesday for championship week, we have got 10 games that we will be discussing, and uh, we're going to hit five on Tuesday, five on Wednesday. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel so that you can get into the chat here, of course, and uh, make sure that you like the video. Now, uh, let's go ahead and jump into our recap. We're going to be as transparent as possible about what we are doing records-wise. We, uh, we've lost a little bit here lately, but we are still up on the year. We're looking for positive EV at the end of the season. So let's uh let's do this. I, I, I we'll start off with this. I am 42, 32 and three thus far on the season. Kyle is 27, 23 and O. Parker 35, 37 and one. That gives us a total of 104 wins, 92 losses, and four pushes. That is still 53.06 percent against the spread. And uh and yeah, we are giving you these lines as we get them on the day of the show, and uh, and we're still doing pretty well. Still doing pretty well, so not too shabby. Last week was not bad at all. Uh, it was it was a losing week thanks to me, but uh, hey, it's what happens when Temple gives uh, Cincinnati four turnovers. Is what it is. Uh, let me go ahead and start with this before we get to the games. We have the World Cup Bracket Challenge, the World Cup Bracket Contest over at BetUS. You pick your winning teams. You predict who's going to come out on top. Uh, for every $50 wagered on any 2022 World Cup match in the group round, uh, you'll get an entry into the bracket contest. All you have to do is pick the most correct World Cup winners and score big. Winners are ranked by the uh, most winning selections within your bracket. Leaderboard will be updated daily. Uh, bracket entries are accepted all the way up until December 3rd at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. First place bracket gets $25,000, and then the pool for second through 10th place is $25,000 as well. So you got $50,000 up for grabs over at BetUS when you bet on the World Cup. Go to BetUS and take advantage of it. 
All right, toss your questions into the chat. Of course, you have to be subscribed to the channel in order to toss those questions in there. But, uh, but yes, like the video for us, of course, and let's start this thing off. We are moving to game number one, and our first game is, of course, the Egg Bowl. Mississippi State heads to Ole Miss, Vaught-Hemingway Stadium in Oxford, and Ole Miss is a two-and-a-half-point home favorite. The total sits at 58-and-a-half. Ole Miss won this matchup last year in Starkville, 31-21, to and we're going to start with Parker on this. Mississippi State is now 0-4 against the spread in the last four against SEC competition. Um, Ole Miss is just 2-6 and six against the spread at home. Ole Miss got blown out by Arkansas last week, and yet, even though they were down 42-6 to six at one point, they outgained Arkansas by 200 yards. They had 700 yards of total offense in this game. Uh, Parker, what do you see between Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach's bunches? I think that we're starting to see the limitations of the air raid style offense. You can win when you have a talent advantage. You can't win when you don't have a talent advantage. And that's just the reality of playing in the ICC every week. Um, one thing that I think is different between Mississippi State and Arkansas is uh, obviously Arkansas uh, can run the ball in a way that Mississippi State has demonstrated they, they absolutely cannot. Um, 87th in EPA per pass, 75th in EPA per rush. This offense is just not very efficient. And this defense that I think we've been high on in the past was Zach Arnett, certainly a good defensive coordinator, not playing up to snuff they, they've fallen to 41st overall in epa per play they are 91st in epa per rush let me tell you that's really bad news against this old miss offense that's 17th in epa per rush 10th in rushing success rate um i think that old miss will be able to move the ball the one reason that i would think you you could bet mississippi state is one we're talking weird rivalry games anything happens this is three and three the last six games but old miss's defense will let you beat them they love to give up passing plays. They love to give up yards to the air. 106th in EPA per pass, 86th in EPA per rush. I think that if Mississippi State's offense can can be a little surgical about this and get Will Rogers going, I I think they'll be able to score. We could get a weird kind of uh, Thanksgiving shootout here. I I think you're probably right. Uh, you know what you brought up at Ole Miss's offense on the season number six in rushing explosiveness. Mississippi State's defense is number 97, giving that up. Uh, I would look for Ole Miss to attack the edges here. The Mississippi State offense is number 118 PPA per pass over the last five weeks. Now, some of that could be the schedule because they have played Georgia and Alabama in that time span. Uh, but the Ole Miss defense is number 123 against the pass. So, uh, Kyle, I I'm curious your thoughts on this because, you know, there is a 65% chance of rain here. Uh, that total opened at 63.5. It's all the way down to 58.5. What, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, the Egg Bowl is always a lot of fun. It's a fun uh, setup having this one by itself on Thanksgiving night, certainly. And uh, one of my favorite moments comes from this game when Elijah Moore did the dog pee celebration. <laughs> I, was, I, I had to give that one a quick shout out. Just uh, what a moment. Mississippi State 17th in strength of schedule, Ole Miss 43rd. Uh, Parker had a great call last week with Arkansas. I do think Ole Miss, you know, got a lot of yards in garbage time in that one. You know, Arkansas, even for as bad as their defense is, they were playing the prevent defense for a long time in that one. Uh, Mississippi State has really disappointed me in general this year. I thought their defense would be far better. And with Will Rogers, uh, I thought their passing game would at least be better than this. Um, they're 87th in the nation in yards per carry allowed on defense. They're negative 0.8 yards per play margin inside the SEC. And on offense, they're 11th in yards per play. It's got to be surprising to have uh, Mike Leach offense with a good quarterback in the system struggling this much. I, I don't want to bet Ole Miss because I don't know if it's a great spot for them off two hard-fought game with some key injuries. Uh, but 
you know, in Mississippi State also off a virtual bye game, uh, bye week with a FCS team. Still, I mean, do we think Mississippi State's going to be able to stop the run? I'm not convinced they're going to be able to stop the run here. Um, Judkins just broke Ole Miss's rushing record in his freshman year. I think he probably runs for a lot of yards here. Uh, I have two leans in this game. One is Ole Miss and one's the over. I would certainly roll with you on that. I would lean Ole Miss. No official play on this one. We didn't feel good enough to make it an, uh, an official play. But, yeah, leans uh, towards Ole Miss here just because of the running attack. Uh, yeah, look for them to attack the edges against the Bulldogs. All right, moving along, we are moving to Friday now. And the AAC, uh, we have got a fantastic battle here. The Tulane Green Wave head to Nippert Stadium to take on the Cincinnati Bearcats. And Cincinnati is a two-point favorite with a total of 46.5, of course, latest lines at BetUS. Cincinnati won last year 31-12, to but that was a two-win, two-lane team that spent a good portion of the year basically living out of a, a suitcase. I mean, they were just all over the place, kind of displaced by a hurricane early in the season. It was, uh, it was kind of a mess. Um, Tulane, 6-0 against the spread on the road. They are 13-3 against the spread in their last 16 games. Cincinnati won 5-1 and one against the spread in their last seven overall. Kyle, I'm going to start with you on this. The winner of this game hosts the AAC title game. The loser has to wait and figure out tiebreakers. Over the last five weeks, Tulane number 19 in PPA margin. Cincinnati is number 57. This Cincinnati team is different than what we're used to from Luke Fickle's bunches, uh, but this is a brand-new cast for the Bearcats. They just haven't quite gotten it figured out yet. Uh, obviously, the talent is there, but, but what do you see in this one? Yeah, I mean, Cincinnati's win over Temple last week was pretty fraudulent. You know, Temple just handed them their points. Um, negative four turnover margin for Temple in that game. Cincy only 5.0 yards per play. I think uh, Cincinnati is overvalued in the betting markets in general. I like Luke Fickle a lot. I think he's a great coach. They lost a lot from last year. Um, they've won several games that uh, by margins that they shouldn't have won by. And then they've had a lot of really close games in general. Uh, I think Tulane's defensive stats have taken a bit of a hit the last couple of weeks with UCF and SMU, but this is a good Tulane defense. Uh, Cincinnati's offense, not very explosive. We've talked about Bryant in the past. Not, he's only okay at quarterback at best. Cincinnati has 15 fumbles. They've only lost four of them so far this year. Um, Tulane on the other side, 12 fumbles. They've lost eight of them. So pretty big difference there. Cincinnati's Games have in general been uh, single digits or or 10 points. Uh, I would lean toward grabbing the points. Uh, I think whoever has the ball last has a decent chance in a game like this. I think this line has come down. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this was two lane plus three. Uh, it's come down to two. So I like it a little bit less than I did, but I would lean two lane and what I think is just a coin flip here. I did go ahead and bet this at Tulane plus three. Uh, it is sitting at two. You know, Tulane smoked SMU last week, 59 to 24. Uh, their defensive weakness is against the run. They're number 81 in rushing success rate allowed. Uh, but Cincinnati is number 123 in rushing success on offense. I mean, they have been abysmal uh, running the ball. You brought up Ben Bryant. You know, he missed the second half of the Temple game last week. He's got a lower leg injury. Uh, Luke Fickle came out literally just before we started this show and said that he is going to be a game-time decision. It uh, looks like Prater could start this game. Prater was pretty good against Temple, 12 of 17 for 170-plus uh, yards. Uh, he ran for 24 yards as well. But there, there's typically a reason why a guy like that is not starting for the entire season, especially with all the questions around Ben Bryant and uh, the less-than-stellar play that he has had thus far. Parker, I look for uh, Spears to have a fantastic day running the football for Tulane. Cincinnati is number 67 PPA per rush on defense. 
I, I think this is a big spot for Tulane. Like, my official play on it is Tulane plus two on the show. I already bet it at three. Uh, I still like it at two because I think they're going to win the game outright. But give me give me your thoughts, Parker. Yeah, this is one that kind of maybe did a do a double take because I have Cincinnati favored a little bit more than I than I thought they would be uh, just with home field advantage. Tulane, uh, you know, that that UCF spot, I think you can look at a couple weeks ago and think, hey, I uh, turned that guy returned an interception right after that. Some kind of ups and downs close spot in that game that they arguably could have and maybe should have won. These teams are actually pretty similar when your opponent adjusts 35th in EPA per play margin for Tulane, 41st for Cincy. A couple key stats that I think stand out. One, um, Tulane's offense is much better on early downs than they are on late downs. They're 22nd early downs, 41st late downs. Uh, so is Cincinnati's defense. Cincinnati's actually really struggled with third and fourth downs. They're 61st, but they're 14th on early downs. If they can keep the script uh, or keep Tulane behind the chains, I think that, that'll be uh, pretty annoying for how Tulane likes to run its offense. You know, they're 91st in rush rate over expected. On the flip side, Tulane's defense, 21st in third and fourth down success. Uh, Cincinnati's offense is 93rd. But Tulane's defense has struggled on early downs. They're 106. So you see this kind of mismatch of two teams that uh, on, on, on Tulane versus Cincinnati offense, it's, hey, the early downs are really going to matter because that's where both teams have kind of made their hay. And then when Cincinnati has the ball, it's, hey, can Cincinnati avoid getting behind the chains because they've been so bad on fourth down and third down? Can they avoid those third and long situations that Tulane handles so well? So interesting game. Numbers didn't align with my prior, so I don't have a play here. Um I, I think I would slightly believe in Tulane a little bit more, so call it a lean to Tulane. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the big things here, Cincinnati, number 92 in points per scoring opportunity over the last five weeks. They're number 82 on the season, so they've actually gotten worse at being able to finish drives, uh, and I don't know exactly what that would mean if they bring in the backup quarterback to start this game. I suppose we will see, but my official play on it is Tulane plus the two at Cincinnati. I know it's going to be tough in Nippert, especially last game of the season with an AAC title berth on the line. But uh, but yes, Tulane plus two is my play there. Moving right along, we are moving to the Mountain West. And we've got a 12 p.m. Eastern time game on CBS, Utah State. The Aggies headed to Boise. And of course, the Broncos, a 17-point home favorite. Total of 52. This is a team that just wrapped up the MWC Mountain Division last week with a 20-17 win at Wyoming. Uh, Boise won this game last year 27-3, and that was a Utah State team that actually won the Mountain West last year. Uh, Boise is 5-0 and straight up and against the spread in the last five against, uh, against Utah State. Uh, Parker, I want to start with you here. Uh, Taylor Green has been awesome. They are still winning with defense, though, number 18 PPA per drive over the last five weeks. They're number seven in success rate allowed. Uh, what do you see from the Broncos here? This Boise State defense is, is has become so real. They, I have them as the highest rated G5 unit, uh, first overall on defense when you opponent adjust. Um, the offense, not so much, has has looked up and down recently, found some found some um, footing, but has been kind of inconsistent. Um, I'm just wondering, can anyone in the world tell me what this Utah State team is? This is one of the weirdest six and five records that I think we've seen in, in, in college football this year. I mean, they got absolutely whomped to start the season. Um, they, they beat UConn and then they go Alabama right after Alabama. They, they get that Alabama effect and lose to Weber State. They end up losing four straight. But in the last six, they've gone five and one, um, kind of turned around, beaten a very good Air Force team, um, outscored, you know, Hawaii and and, uh, and and put 17 on a pretty decent Colorado State defense. So very inconsistent. I don't know if I'd say they're getting better so much as they've just matched up a lot better as their opponents as they've gotten healthy and recuperated after that Alabama beating um, that kind of induced that four game skid there. But a very inconsistent and flighty team for me for, for Utah State, someone I'm not inclined to trust. But 
Boise State is a big favorite this season. Hasn't really been that um, good of a bet either. I think that, um, you know, looking at this, I, I would believe 13, 14, 15 points even, but 17, like this just gets so big really quickly. And you're saying, hey, Boise State, uh, they've already clinched the division. Do they really care about, you know, keeping the foot on the gas? Do they really care about uh, this this fourth quarter and and how much they're going to win that by? Uh, so, uh, well, on the merits, Boise State, much more talented in every facet of the game. Uh, I'm just not sure I trust them to to put the foot down for all four quarters. Well, especially with the body clock on this game, right? I mean, this will be a 9 a.m. Uh, kick for them as far as where they are located. Uh, it's 12 p.m. Eastern time. It'll be 9, or maybe it's 10 o'clock. I don't remember. Either way, it's an early, early kickoff for them at Albertson Stadium. Uh, and, of course, you mentioned Utah State. The one game that they did lose was at Wyoming, and that was without Cooper Lagasse, the quarterback. So that is certainly something to pay attention to. The defense has improved. Uh, they are number 41 in PPA per drive defense over the last five weeks. So part of that has to do, obviously, with the schedule. Uh, but the team has gotten healthy, as you mentioned, Parker. Uh, Kyle, I- I'm curious on yours. Uh, Utah State is number 62 in takeaways per game on the season. Uh, that is up significantly. They are being able to take advantage of other teams' turnovers. And with the Boise maybe lack of motivation here heading into the Mountain West title game next week, uh, what do you see in this one? Yeah, that's one of my angles here, Gary, is that I think that Boise um, has a lot of injuries, number one. If you have a lot of injuries and you already are locked into that uh, title game, then why do you want to run up the score against Utah State in this one? I think this is a good spot where Boise would want to get out of Dodge with a win. Um, Wyoming's quarterback was three for 15 for 30 yards passing last week, and they probably should have won. Uh, you know, Wyoming was running the ball well on on Boise. Broncos have a ton of injuries. I, I think uh, while Utah State became bowl eligible, they're not certainly locked into a bowl game. And I think they they have plenty of incentive to try to get into a better spot. Uh, I do trust Blake Anderson. I think he's a very good coach. Uh, Cooper Lagasse is an upgrade a lot from what they've had at quarterback through most of the season. They had Bonner for a while, then they had the fourth or fifth string quarterback for a while. Uh, Cooper Lagasse is a pretty good dual threat quarterback. And I think there's very real backdoor potential in this game if Boise gets ahead by a decent amount because uh, Utah State was embarrassed uh, last year against Boise State. Utah State should be fighting all the way in this one. I don't think they'll overlook a game like this. Uh, Boise, like I said, there's plenty of reasons that they might not be up for this game as much as Utah State. And let's be honest, Boise hasn't exactly been really dominant all throughout the year anyway. So I think 17 points is just too much here. I'm going to take Utah State. Let's make it official. Kyle is going to play the Aggies, plus 17, uh, and I can't disagree. I cannot disagree. All right, let me remind everybody, go ahead and like the video. Uh, We are just, this is dreadful. You guys are better than this, and I know it. Go ahead and hit that like button. It's the little thumbs up button down there. Make sure that you are subscribed to the show and don't forget about the podcast if you can't join us live obviously this is a week for travel if you are driving to uh, your in-laws for example (laughs) which i will be doing you can always download the bet us football show that is both the college feed and the nfl feed all together right there on one simple podcast feed make sure and like uh of course this video subscribe to this channel subscribe to the podcast and leave a nice five-star review if you would so kindly Let's move along to an SEC-ACC rivalry, a good, disgusting battle this year, I think, because I think it could get ugly. Uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on ABC, Florida heads to Florida State, 
and the Seminoles are a nine and a half point home favorite, juiced at minus one fifteen. The total sits at fifty eight on this. Dope Campbell Stadium is going to be rocking because they have not hosted Florida since twenty eighteen, and they have not beaten the Gators since twenty seventeen. Florida State has been rolling since they got fully healthy, uh, but fl- they remember that Florida kept them out of a bowl game last year. Florida won 24-21, to and that was after they fired Dan Mullen. So Florida beat them with an interim coach last year. Florida State 0-3 straight up, 1-2 against the spread the last three against Florida. Kyle, let's start with you on this. Florida lost last week to Vanderbilt, uh, and you might look at it and say, was it just a look ahead? Uh, the numbers don't necessarily suggest that. Uh, their only road win this season has been against a flu-riddled A&M team, and you know they looked really good in just beating up on South Carolina in a game where it kind of looked like South Carolina just didn't want to be there. It, it very strange how this season has gone for Florida. Kyle, what do you see between the Gators and the Seminoles? Yeah, first I, I lean really strongly to Florida State in this game. I almost pulled the trigger on this one, but I'm going to tell you what made me hesitate a little bit to pull the trigger. Trigger. Um, the ACC is really bad. Uh, and the SEC is much better than the ACC. Florida State's strength of schedule is 50th. I worry a bit about laying too many points with an ACC team against an SEC team that's really been uh, tested a lot. Um, Florida's running game is capable of explosive plays. They could pose a bit of a problem for Florida State. Seminoles are 78th in rushing play success rate allowed. On the whole, though, uh, I really like the trajectory of the Florida State program. Uh, Florida's won three straight here, and I, I think the Seminoles will get them back here this year. I like Florida State. I didn't quite get there. Pizza money bet for me. Uh, I think so. Uh, let's see what the guys have to say. All right, Parker, let's move to you. Florida, only chance to score lately really has been big plays. Over the past five weeks, they're number 11 in passing explosiveness, number 23 in rushing explosiveness. But Florida State is great at defending those. Uh, number one in rushing explosiveness allowed, number 17 in passing. This Florida offense is not efficient. I don't know that you can beat Florida State, uh, even though I do agree with what Kyle was talking about as far as the schedule strengths. I There's something about this one, uh, with it being at home, et cetera, uh, that I feel really good about the Seminoles. What, what do you see here? Yeah, a couple of things for me here. One, the the spot. Florida had to play a slog against Vandy last week. Maybe, you know, preseason you think that's a game they can get healthy and kind of focus on the Florida State game. But they they really had to compete last week and they weren't expecting it. And yes, Florida State's schedule has not been good. Um but they have demolished teams. They've allowed 9.75 points over these last four games, a game, less than 10 points a game, um, just absolutely rolled. That gives them chances to get healthy, chances to get a bunch of guys reps, chances to to know what their offense is when it's functioning um, and kind of focus on this game. Even with, you know, you know, Miami and uh, Syracuse, who was ranked, I think at the time they um, have been really, really good. Uh, or have had their eye on this Florida game just because of the quality of the, that opponent there. This Florida State defense is, is legit. Uh, 21st in unadjusted uh, opponent, uh, unopponent adjusted EPA, but second when you adjust for opponent, just especially with recency waiting. They've been so dang efficient. I think the big split for me here is that um, Florida's defense just can't really stop anyone. They're 98th overall in EPA per play. They're 84th in EPA per pass allowed, 105th in EPA per rush, 103rd in quality possession rate, and 128th on third and fourth down success. I could list you a couple more, but just take my word for it. They're not very good. I think Florida State uh, complete trajectory going the right way. If Florida wasn't bowl eligible already, maybe we're talking about a Billy Napier team fighting for bowl eligibility, and maybe I'd be more inclined towards Florida. But I'm going to ride with Florida State. I think they're passing the eye test. They're passing the numbers test. They're um, 
you know, uh, very efficient in the pass game and um, are generating a ton of opportunities. I like the Seminoles. I like the I like the uh, them to cover this weekend. I am going to ride the same way, just like Kyle mentioned. I'm going to pull the trigger, and yes, we're going to take the Seminoles <laughs> at minus nine and a half there. Uh, yeah, I, I feel good about this. This seems like the spot for Mike Norvell to really win over that fan base. They have been gearing up for this one in Doak. It's going to be a good night for the Seminoles, I believe. All right, moving right along, we are headed to the Sun Belt. Coastal Carolina heads to James Madison, and the Dukes are a 13-and-a-half-point home favorite the total. Sits at 53 and a half, of course, at Bridgeforth Stadium in Harrisonburg, Virginia. This is the first meeting. And I got to tell you, when I saw this line, it opened at 14. It quickly jumped to 14 and a half. And now it's all the way down to 13 and a half. Uh, We're going to start with Kyle on this. It's the first meeting between these two. And I I thought that the line kind of stunk on this. Coastal is nine and one against the spread as a dog. The reason that the line is where it is is, of course, because Grayson McCall is out at least through the end of the regular season. He could be back for the conference title game. Uh, But really, how many points is Grayson McCall worth? Uh, The backup quarterback, Jared Guest, threw two picks last week against, uh, excuse me, two weeks ago against Southern Miss, uh, but was 7 of 14 for 163 yards. And uh, and Chadwell, he can still scheme them up here. I kind of expect a big day from wide receiver Sam Pinckney. Uh, Kyle, I'm curious your thoughts on this one. What, what do you see from James Madison and Coastal? Well, I think this is two really well-coached teams. Uh, fun matchup. Uh, James Madison, you have to give them credit for their comeback against Georgia State. Down 34-14 to 14 at half and won 42-40. They were negative three turnover margin in that game and still won. I think Coastal is very good at scheming up plays on offense, and I expect them to be able to find a way to score even without Grayson McCall. I honestly don't really want to bet this game, and I have, I want to leave us plenty of time for the Q&A, so I'm going to let uh, Gary and Parker let you know why they like this game. Well, let's do it. Let's move to Parker on this one. Uh, look, the Coastal Carolina defense is number 51 in Standard Downs PPA, but James Madison's offense over the past five weeks is number 119. Now, that is baked in, of course, with the fact that Todd Centio was out for a little bit, but even with him back in, uh, which they've been really good with him in, James Madison has lost 15 turnovers in the last five games. Now, of course, uh, in that time span, they did play at Louisville, and they did not lose a single turnover in that loss to the Cardinals. Uh, the JMU defense weakness is explosives. Uh, number 122 in passing explosiveness allowed, number 129 in rushing explosiveness allowed, and Coastal ought to be able to take advantage of that. Uh, Parker, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of reasons why I think that Coastal can certainly hang in this game, and if we're looking for motivation, uh, yeah, I understand. Coastal is already in the Sun Belt Championship game. However, Coastal only has one loss on the season. They have a chance to make a New Year's Six Bowl, which they felt like they absolutely got screwed out of just a couple of years ago in the 2020 season when they were undefeated. Uh, they got a shot here to actually, because UCF with three losses is still in contention for the AAC title. They could go with one loss to the New Year's Six, and that would be absolutely massive for this program. I think they got a lot to fight for here. I like Coastal plus the 13 and a half, but Parker, I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, we were texting when we were picking lines for this game and doing the production meeting and said, wait a minute, are we sure that this is what it actually says? Because I have I have Coastal Carolina favored. Um, when you opponent adjust for what James Madison has done, 
Um, I think that their offense really falls off. I, 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 and their defense has been good. But again, the caliber of who they've played against and recency weighting has not been as good. They're especially they're they're worse at EPA per pass than they are at EPA per rush allowed. Uh, telling me again that explosiveness problem, that big play problem. Coastal Carolina has had two weeks with the backup quarterback getting reps running that offense. They can scheme up points. I think they'll absolutely have James Madison's defense on skates. And the flip side, um, you know, the areas where. Coastal Carolina's offense struggles is is also where James Madison or sorry Coastal Carolina's defense struggles is where James Madison's offense struggles. Um, points per quality possession, Coastal Carolina has been prone to the big play, four point two seven. That's ninetieth in the nation. James Madison's offense is averaging three point seven five. That's eighty fifth in points per quality possession. Um, third down success, Coastal Carolina is allowing forty five point six. That's ninety ninth in the nation. James Madison is 98th in the nation with 37.9% there. Two teams that run the ball a lot as well. So even if I don't get the Coastal Carolina money line that I'm going to sprinkle some pizza money on, I am for sure feeling very confident about Coastal Carolina in a game where the ball is going to be um, running. They're going to run the ball a lot. The time is going to move off the clock really quickly. Um, And I think Coastal Carolina, with a couple weeks of practice here, is really going to be able to – you know, set up their backup for success if they have to go play in that um, New Year's Six game or that conference championship game. This is a really important kind of tune-up for him as well, even as it is a competition. So give me give me Coastal Carolina with the backup and, and that many points. I'm I'm uh, I'm all for him. All right, so let's roll with the fight. And Jamie Chadwell's here. Parker and I are going to make it official. Coastal plus 13 and a half for us. Now let's move into uh, really the biggest game of the weekend, Michigan. Heads to Ohio Stadium, and the Buckeyes are favored by 7.5. The total sits at 57 here. It's 12 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday on Fox. And Michigan won last year. I don't know if you all have heard, but they won 42-27. to And there was maybe some grumblings about somebody being born on third base and all sorts of different things going on here. Of course, Michigan has won an eight straight up in the last nine years. Uh, that, of course, was the only win last season. Uh, I feel like Ohio State might have been waiting around on this one. How injured is Blake Corum, of course, the running back? Uh, what are we going to see from Edwards maybe this week? Who knows who's actually going to play at running back for the Wolverines? Edwards and Corum, the offense kind of relies on those two guys. They're number 17 PPA per rush uh, over the last five weeks, number five in rushing success rate. J.J. McCarthy, uh, just not really getting it done as far as passing goes. He's number 82 in passing grade at PFF. Uh, Parker, we're going to start with you because I know Kyle could go on this for a long time. Uh, I want to know what the running back room looks like for Ohio State as well. Like they they couldn't put Maryland away, but again, obvious look ahead spot last week. Uh, Michigan couldn't put Maryland away earlier in the year either, so I don't know exactly what that says about anybody. Uh, Stroud, there's maybe some questions about him. Uh, he's put up big numbers, but he hadn't exactly looked right all season not not the same way that he did last year and I don't know if that's because there's a a rotating cast of wide receivers going in and out etc but Parker I'm curious your thoughts on this one I don't know that we've seen either one of these teams at their absolute peak just yet yeah um 
So I'll say first off the bat, no play for me just because there is too much uncertainty about who's healthy, who's playing. Both coaches are being really coy, and I have it very close to the spread anyway, so I don't see uh, an edge there. Um, I think that these are two really, really good teams, and uh, the, the biggest deal for me is the contrast of styles. So, you know, uh, Ohio State's offense is third in opponent adjusted EPA per play. Michigan's defense is eighth. Ohio State's defense is 13th. Michigan's offense is 29th. So you see, again, we've got best on best with this offense versus this defense. Michigan, 7.7% more than the average team in terms of rush rate over expected. That's 111th in the nation. Ohio State actually really balanced. Last year, Michigan said, we're going to play bully ball. We know you have some health issues. We're just going to line up and push your defensive line around. I don't think Jim Knowles is going to let that happen again. I'd be inclined um, to lean towards the underdog here. Um, but I, I, again, no play just because of the uncertainty. And I'm looking forward to what Kyle has uh, on these numbers. Most certainly. Same here. Same here. Uh, the Michigan defense is number 65 in Havoc rate. Uh, Ohio State is number 23 in Havoc allowed. Uh, they're going to have to get out after Stroud, I think. Um, because if he's got time, like the wide receivers are going to make plays. I, Kyle, give me some thoughts here because I, I'm a little confused on which way I should go. I know which way I want to go based on motivation, uh, but I'm curious from your side. Yeah, I, I decided to be professional and go ahead and say Michigan here throughout this instead of saying that team up north. But um, <laughs> I think both fan bases coming into this game feel pretty concerned about their team. I mean, let's be fair. If you got on the Ohio State message boards, they'd be concerned. If you got on the Michigan message boards, they'd be concerned. Michigan was definitely slowed without Blake Corum. Uh, I think Corum's been fantastic all year and he's explosive running back that they really need in this game. They were even down to that final uh, fourth down play where uh, if they didn't convert, they would lose to Illinois. And I know Brett Bielema took to Twitter to, to retweet the offensive pass interference that could have been called on that one. If, as it was, Michigan survived. Um, Ohio State looked bad in their close win at Maryland, for sure. Dowen Hayden was going to be the four-string running back coming into the season. They had uh, Henderson, Williams, and then uh, Prater as well. Uh, he He's out for the year with a knee injury. And then both Henderson, Williams has been out. Both those guys have missed a lot of time. I will say it does show why depth matters a lot because Dallin Hayden's really good for a four-string four-string running back for sure. Four-star running back sitting at four-string is is a nice thing to have. Um, the best three running backs in the game though are injury question marks, and that makes it a little bit hard to know what to think. Um, Ohio State's offensive line is not blocked well for the run game. I don't trust Ohio State to be able to run the ball here on Michigan. Uh, C.J. Stroud, eight turnover-worthy plays in his last five games. That concerns me as a Buckeyes fan, certainly. Ohio State hasn't faced an O-line and rushing attack like Michigan, and Michigan hasn't faced a passing game like Ohio State um, and receivers. I, I know this. Ohio State absolutely wants the weather to be good for this game. Michigan wants it to be sloppy and be able to just turn this into a lower, uh, lower scoring game. Rain, snow, heavy wind is a plus for Michigan for sure. I do see the long-term forecast is 50% chance of rain. A little bit of wind, not too bad. But uh, I'll be honest, I'm such a big fan of Ohio State and not a fan of Michigan, clearly, that I only really care about whether Ohio State wins in this game and not really whether they cover the spread here. But I think, honestly, the total might be a bit too low if the weather's okay, because while Ohio State's offense is better, or while Ohio State's defense is better than last year, I'm not convinced they would consistently stop Michigan. And I do think Ohio State's passing game will give Michigan trouble as long as the weather's all right in this one. Yeah, we did have uh, a little bit of movement as far as that total goes, 57.5 down to uh, 57. And uh, Ohio State opened at 8.5. That's down to 7.5. Uh, so no official plays from us because of 
the, you know, the questions, right? There's just a ton of them regarding who is going to play on both sides of this. Uh, but I think it's going to be an absolute, uh, just ridiculous ball game. And I am excited for it. I, I will lean Ohio State on this because I think they're going to be able to throw the ball. I don't think the weather is going to be too crazy. It's not going to be too cold and maybe a little bit chilly. Uh, but the rain, I don't think it's going to be too bad. I, I think Ohio State wants to get revenge for last season. Uh, this is the one game that they've been looking for. Just saying. All right, let me remind everybody, go ahead and like the video if you would so kindly. Uh, we want to make sure that we get up to 100 uh, before we get to this next game. So go ahead and hit that like button for us if you would. And make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. Get yourself ready for bowl season because we're here every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time for bowl season. Uh, make sure and jump in the Q&A. At the end of the show, jump in uh, with your questions into the chat. And, of course, we will be doing a Q&A today. Now, moving right along, we are headed back to the Sun Belt. Old Dominion, the Monarchs head to South Alabama. The Jags are favored by 15 and a half here. The total sits at 48, latest numbers at BetUS. Hancock-Whitney Stadium. This is the first meeting between these two teams. Old Dominion, 3-8 and eight against the spread in their last 11 against winning teams. South Alabama, 6-1 and one against the spread against losing teams. Uh, and they are 7-2 and two against the spread in their last nine at home. What Kane Womack has done at South Alabama is just awesome. Kyle, I want to start with you on this. Old Dominion has scored 17 points the last three weeks combined after losing the wide receiver Ali Jennings for the rest of the season. Two touchdowns last week were in the fourth quarter uh, after going down 27 to nothing against App. Uh, they're only averaging 2.46 yards per rush over the last three weeks. This offense has just been ground to a complete stop. Uh, what, what do you see between the Monarchs and the Jacks? I mean, South Alabama's been fantastic. Like you said, 19th in yards per play margin on the season. Old Dominion is 89th. Really love the coaching staff of South Alabama. Uh, and this is a team that we talked about early on, South Alabama, that could have a good year. Uh, we've said some things that were wrong, but that was definitely a good call by us. Uh, this is one where I would also question the motivation level of ODU coming into this one. What do they really have to play for in this game? Um, I don't have a lot to say on this one, but but I do want to say I, I have an angle that I think fits this one nicely. And it's about uh, not being afraid to lay the points late in the season. So conference favorites of 14 and a half points or more from game nine through the end of the regular season are 449 or 444 and 329. That's 57.4 percent when they're playing a team with a win percentage of less than 50 percent. That fits this one. You're laying quite a few points against a team that probably doesn't have anything to play for here. This one fits and I would lay it if I was playing this one. Definitely. Most certainly. Parker, uh, we'll move over to you. South Alabama's offense, number 13 in standard downs PPA over the last five weeks. Old Dominion's defense is number 115. Old Dominion is number 91 in giveaways per game. South Alabama's number 28 in takeaways. So we could certainly see some turnovers that would benefit the Jaguars here. Uh, the last five weeks, South Alabama number 24 in points per scoring uh, opportunity on offense. And Old Dominion's offense is number 128 in that same metric. It, it is This just looks like a mismatch. And yet... This line opened at 16. It is down to 15 and a half. Uh, Parker, what do you see here? A couple uh, key stats stand out for me. One, South Alabama 28th in EPA per pass. Old Dominion is down to 89th on EPA per pass on defense. So huge mismatch in the pass game, which is um, good. Uh, you know, South Alabama is pretty selective about when they pass, and so they want it to count. I think they'll have their opportunities here. They're 20, excuse me, 81st in rush rate over expected. Uh, so rushing slightly more than the average team. Um, and, and, uh, I think that, uh, 
just if you talk about you brought up turnovers and it made me think about just kind of control. I like this, you know, echo ratio, this kind of game control that looks at the ratio of, of quality possessions in a game. Old Dominion is 122nd, controlling only 40.9% of the possessions in a game. Uh, South Alabama is 21st, controlling 55.8%. Old Dominion wins when their opponent uh, makes mistakes um, and when a, their opponent gives up a big play, but they're not really a game control team, whereas uh, South Alabama really is. So I expect South Alabama to dictate the pace of play. 16 points kind of scares me. I have this closer to like 11 or 12, um, but certainly with the motivation, certainly with the way that Old Dominion's recently been trending, um, I wouldn't blame anyone for for riding with South Alabama here. This does look like a pretty huge mismatch. Yes, that is the exact direction that I'm going. I will take the Jaguars to cover the 15 and a half here. Uh, I'll admit, I bet it at 16 and it moved against me, but I do not care. I think this is a three touchdown win for South Alabama. Remember, they've got a lot to play for. Uh, They are hoping for a shot at the Sunbelt Championship game, and they're not going to know the Troy result until later in the day. So this one's happening at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Troy doesn't play for several hours after that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is absolute perfect spot where South Alabama uh, will want to make sure that they run this thing up, that they that they look good doing it, and that they have a chance to get into that Sunbelt Championship. Give me the Jags, uh, minus the 15 and a half. Moving along, we're headed over to the Pac-12, and we have got the Oregon Ducks heading to the Oregon State Beavers. That's right. Bo Nix and company headed to Corvallis. Uh, luckily, it's not a night game for them, but... Hey, it is what it is. Uh, Oregon is favored by three with a total of 58 here. Uh, those are, of course, the latest numbers at BetUS. Oregon won last year 38-29. to 29. Oregon is 4-1 and one straight up, 3-2 and two against the spread in the last five against Oregon State. But, man, it's some of these trends, Oregon State is 14-3 and three against the spread in their last 17 at home. This team, the Beavers, are an eight-win team right now. They've got a shot to win nine games under Jonathan Smith. Just absolutely insane. Parker, I want to start with you here. Uh, The Beaver defense over the last five weeks has been number eight in PPA per drive. The offense has certainly improved with the quarterback, Goldbrinson. This this team is awesome. They're number four in PPA margin over the last five weeks. Oregon is number 19. So Oregon State has actually been, uh, more recently, the better football team. Now, granted, schedule has something to do with that when Oregon is having to play Utah and Washington, et cetera. Yeah, that's going to hurt. But this Ducks defense uh, may be a little bit questionable. Bo Nix, not 100%, but he did just enough against Utah. I, I want to hear what you think on it, Parker. I think that Oregon survived their scare. That just looking at the spot and situationally, they they lost against Washington, and then and then you know the season would have been completely ruined if they kind of pulled it out against Utah last week. And and Utah certainly did Oregon a lot of favors in that. Um, I like Oregon State. I've bet on them this this season. I think that they are building in the right direction and like what Jonathan Smith is doing here. I think the issue is they're out talented. It's not a night game, and I don't know that they're going to be able to. Um, pull this off. Uh, a couple things stand out, specifically Oregon, very physical team. Even with Bo Nix, even with the passing game that's been so good, they are second in EPA per rush. They are first in rushing success rate this season. They're rushing, uh, they're 78th in, in uh, rush rate over expected. Oregon will rush early and often against a defense that can't defend it. Oregon State is 101st in EPA per rush allowed. They're 90th in rushing success rate allowed. So right there tells me Oregon's going to be able to um, control the pace of the game here and be very physical. That's only going to help Oregon's defense, which yes, has been lagging behind, but the good news is 
um, we do see that both offenses and defenses, uh, Oregon's defense, Oregon State's offense, have very big run pass splits. Oregon is 42nd in EPA per rush. They're 117th in EPA per pass. Oregon State, 28th in the rush, 70th in the pass. When we have a big split, we think selection. Um, Oregon State's going to have to try and pass and test this defense, but they're going to give up some of that confusion and that run trickery that they have in that really fun offense. Um, that trade-off, I don't know if that's going to work well, especially when Oregon's going to be able to control the pace of play here. I think Oregon's more physical and more talented. Um, and, you know, if, if Oregon had beaten Washington two weeks, no way I'm touching this game with a 10-foot pole, right? But I think situationally, Oregon's locked in. They know they're playing for the Pac-12 championship here. Uh, I'm going to ride with the Ducks to cover as the favorites on the road in Corvallis. I could certainly understand that. Kyle, let's move over to you. Uh, yeah, as Parker mentioned, the Ducks need this for the Pac-12 title game. Uh, Oregon State's defense, number 82 in rushing success rate allowed over the last five weeks. It, it, I mean, Oregon's offense is number nine in that regard. Uh, there's certainly a talent gap, as Parker mentioned. Uh, CFB winning edges team strength shows Oregon number seven and Oregon State number 38. So there is a talent gap. Uh, give me some thoughts here on, on what this looks like as far as the total goes. I mean, it's gone from 57 up to 58. What, what do you see on this? Yeah, and Bo Nix was far less than 100% against Utah. He didn't look very good, but he got it out. You got to give him credit. Um, if Cam Rising had even been average in that game, Utah would have won. I mean, Rising was really, really bad in that game. Three picks, two really bad throws on fourth down and short. Um, Nick's had one rushing attempt in that game. That was the last play of the game. It would surprise me if Nick's is 100% uh, or even very close to 100% in this game. Oregon State has slowed down their tempo a lot in the Pac-12. They're 126th in tempo overall in the country in Pac-12 play alone, using more than 30 seconds between snaps. So uh, they're definitely taking their time. They're running it on almost 62% of their plays as well. I think there's going to be a lot of moving clock here. Oregon does play relatively quickly, but Oregon State's going to stall as much as they possibly can. Oregon State's defense has quietly been really good. They're first in the Pac-12 in rushing defense. They do have good corners. Uh, Goldbrinson is, has done a nice job. He doesn't have uh, spectacular plays, but 2.5% turnover-worthy plays. He takes care of the ball better than Chance Nolan did. Uh, I think that's pretty helpful for an under. Um, Oregon State has been a, a wagon at home at 11-0 ATS, last 11 home games. I think this is a tight, low-scoring contest. Um, I liked Oregon State some at plus 3.5, and, and I still kind of like that way. So we don't disagree too much, but I kind of disagree here that I think Oregon State uh, at home has been so good. I would lean that way, but I'm not taking it. I'm taking the under, and uh, under 58 is my play in this one. I like that. Let's make it official. Parker is going to ride with the Ducks to cover the three, and Kyle is going to ride the under 58 on this. Uh, may may have a little bit of weather in this game. I'm not uh, certainly, or I'm not I'm not totally sure exactly what's going to happen there. But this one's going to be on ABC, opposite of the next game that we're going to hit. So let's go on and move to that one. Uh, we're headed down to the SEC, and we are talking the Iron Bowl. Alabama favored by 21 and a half against the Auburn Tigers. The total sits at 49. Latest numbers at BetUS. Bryant-Denny Stadium. I'm not sure exactly how rocking it's going to be. Uh, there's like a 60% chance of rain in this. And there's all sorts of things to look at as far as this game is concerned. Alabama 24-22 to win in overtime last year on the Plains. Alabama's 5-0 and straight up, 4-1 and against the spread at home against Auburn. Auburn is 4-1 and against the spread in their last five overall. So the enthusiasm on the season is just at an absolute high since Carnell Williams took over as the interim head coach. 
Uh, I'm curious about the splits, though, uh, and I'm going to talk to Parker about that here in a minute uh, with some of the stuff that, that Auburn's defense has got going on. Uh, Kyle, I want to start with you. I, I don't believe that Bryce Young is healthy. He has not looked right uh, really since the Tennessee game, and of course he got hurt in that Arkansas game, did not play against A&M, came back against Tennessee, looked really good. Uh, since then, has not looked the same at all. Uh, the last five weeks, they are number 20 in passing rate, throwing at 58% of the time. They are number 67 in passing success rate, number 67 in rushing success rate. This offense has not been great at all. Uh, Kyle, what, what do you see going on here in the Iron Bowl? Yeah, I mean, um, I agree with you. Uh, Bryce Young is not healthy, and uh, he looked really good against Tennessee. There's been several quarterbacks look really good against Tennessee here lately. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think um, this is a spot where I don't trust Bryce Young and Alabama to p- score a ton of points. I think 21 and a half is a, is a pretty big total, a pretty big spread with a total of just 49. Um, can Alabama run it down their throat? I mean, that's kind of the question in this game because – uh, I'm sure Parker will talk about this, and he's better at explaining it than I am, but 17th in pass play success rate allowed for Auburn and 103rd in rushing play success rate allowed. They're actually third in yards per play allowed in the SEC. Auburn's defense has kind of sneaky, been pretty good here of late. Uh, they're playing really hard for Cadillac. That's something that Gary talked about a couple weeks ago. They are definitely putting effort out there. Um, total of 49 with the rain in the forecast, maybe just a little bit of wind. I think 21 and a half is quite a bit. So I would lean to Auburn, but I'm not going to bet this one. I will I will go on and tell you that my number is closer to 28 than it is 21 and a half. Um, but that's, that's with a healthy Bryce Young. That's with all these different things that we haven't fully put into this. And it was with an Auburn team that was trending downwards. And this Auburn team is looking a lot better. Parker, uh, looking at this as far as the splits go, teams are passing 64% against Auburn over the last five weeks. But Auburn's number 14 in passing success rate allowed, number 19 in PPA per pass. Uh, you know, Kyle brought this up as well. Uh, what, what do we see with these splits? I mean, are we, looking at, uh, are we looking at teams wanting to throw the ball, or is this more, you know, maybe a couple of games where Auburn was up and the other team had to throw to be able to get back in? Yeah, I mean, guys, I don't even think I need to be here anymore. The chat has already talked about Alabama first half, which is what I was going to say. And then you guys both hit it on the right there on the head with the the split here of this defense. Uh, Auburn's Auburn's defense looks good in the in the pass game, um, but because they're so bad in the rush game, teams are only passing in those obvious passing situations. And so uh, a really big split there that I think is a little bit misleading. We also have to opponent adjust here. Um, I, I I understand that Auburn has played a little bit better as of late, but I'm inclined to even believe that like the Texas A&M game. Connor Wegman had a 29.8 QBR. I think that says a little bit more about what Jimbo's doing on offense than it does necessarily the caliber of Auburn's defense overall. Um, and so uh, the, the big question here is, is Bryce Young healthy? And can Nick Saban motivate these guys to play for a New Year's Six berth? Because I think that's very much on the line with Tennessee losing, with Hendon Hooker being out. Alabama's kind of back in, I mean, they're, they're, they're a little more comfortable about their New Year's Six spot here, but they need to win out to make that happen. So um, uh, motivation, certainly a question. 21 points scares me in a rivalry game like this. I had it a little bit closer um, overall, but I, I think that we shouldn't be too quick to give Auburn too much credit for beating a, a pretty low-talent G5 team and then beating, beating one of the worst Texas A&M teams we've seen in recent memory. Um, and they're still just two and three in their last five, with the only really competitive game being that really close overtime loss to Mississippi State, who, as we said earlier, none of us are really fond of here. So um, 
I think if you're trying to read tea leaves and look at um, motivation and everything, just get rid of the second half. Just go to the first half and say, I think Alabama in the first half is probably a decent move there, um, depending on, of course, what the line you can get. But I, there's no way I trust 21 points in the in the second half here for Alabama, especially in a rivalry game, especially where Cadillac might be coaching for his job to say, hey, I can get this team motivated and, and put some pieces in place that look like they're a foundation of, of something for the future. So no play for me. Uh, hoping that it's absolutely chaotic and fun like it has been many times in the past. Yeah, no no official plays from any of us, but Parker, you know, you in the chat do bring up something interesting here. Uh, that Mississippi State game, uh, remember the Bulldogs were up 24-3 to in that one before Auburn stormed back and tied it, and, uh, and Mississippi State was able to take that thing into overtime and actually get a W. Uh, something to pay attention to here, Alabama number 27 in scoring opportunities per game. Auburn's defense is number 82 at giving them up. Alabama is number 39 in points per scoring opportunity. Auburn's defense is number 94 in that. On the other side, Auburn's offense, number 63 points per scoring opportunity. Alabama's defense is number six. So there are certainly advantages for the Tide when it comes to finishing drives on both sides of the ball. But maybe we focus on that first half. Maybe we focus on Alabama in that first half. Uh, It certainly leans towards that one. All right, reminder again, Go and make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast, subscribe to this channel, hit that notification bell. It's going to let you know that we go live every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Make sure and jump into the chat for the Q&A at the end of the show. We did hit 100 likes. You guys are fantastic for that. Let's go ahead and bump that thing up to 150 because we have certainly got enough people watching that we can do that. It is the thumbs up button. Very easy to do. Moving along, we are headed to the Big 12 now, and we are going to talk about the number four ranked TCU Horned Frogs, a 10-point home favorite. Uh, It's minus 105 as far as the odds. Uh, They're at home against Iowa State, who only has one win in the Big 12 this year. The total sits at 47.5 at Amon G. Carter Stadium in Fort Worth. Iowa State 48-14 winners last year against TCU. Iowa State is 4-1 straight up in the last five against TCU, and they are also 4-1 against the spread in the last five against TCU. Parker, I'm actually going to start with you on this one. I know that you can go for a long time, but we'll go and tell everybody to go to the Purple Theory podcast to go on and listen for, for what you're going to say on that one. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious, just quick thoughts on this. Iowa State's defense has been awesome. I mean, they're number 17 PPA per drive on the season, but, man, that offense is bad. Number 116 PPA per drive. And, of course, that's not even mentioning the fact that special teams is number 128 at SB+. But do we, do we ever count out Matt Campbell here? What, what do you see in this one? Uh, setting a timer for accountability here. Uh, don't get me started on Matt Campbell's special teams. This Iowa State defense is very good. The offense very clearly does not have um, either the quarterback reps nor the um, the actual talent at the skill positions to do what they want. I know they had some injuries on the offensive line. Honestly, I don't think that's really hurt them. They had opportunities to be Texas, opportunities to be uh, Texas Tech, and just absolutely squandered them. Multiple first downs in opponent territory. Um just some pretty, pretty under, uh, pretty un- unclear game management. Yeah, yeah, just a lot of stuff that's like, hey, if Iowa State just didn't shoot themselves in the foot, maybe they would be pretty good here. Um, TCU is dealing with some health issues. Uh, second half last week, no Kendra Miller, no Quentin Johnston. Both of them are in and out of practice this week. There's some questions about how healthy TCU is. This defense is legitimately the best one that TCU's faced in a couple weeks here. So will be a test. Um, I'm inclined to believe that if it would be under, I don't love TCU by 10, especially just because uh, of how good this Iowa State defense is. So I would lean under and I would lean Iowa State to cover even if even if TCU wins outright. 
I, I could certainly understand that. TCU has been through an absolute gauntlet. I believe this is now 10 weeks without a bye. Uh, the fire drill field goal against Baylor was a lot of fun. I don't know if anybody has seen on Twitter where they put the uh, the Titanic music behind it, but classic. Anytime somebody puts those together, I, I always laugh, and it it's very enjoyable for me. Uh, can TCU maintain momentum here before the Big 12 title game next week? Uh, or do they really have to? I mean, they are 8-2-1 and one against the spread on the season. Uh, Iowa State is 2-8-1 and one against the spread against teams with a winning record. So that is certainly something to consider when you're looking at a line that's around 10. Uh, but, Kyle, I mean, this total opened at 47.5. It's still sitting at 47.5. Uh, it's under, you know, a key of, of 49. Um, but it, this still feels like it could be just a slog of a game. What, what do you see here? Yeah, I mean, Iowa State has been excellent at turning every game into a slog of a game. So I'm counting on them to do it again here. In the Cyclones' last seven games, they haven't had a game that's gone higher than 45 total points scored. And four of the seven have been 34 or less. So, I mean, it's not like they've even been that close most of the time. Some of their opponents during that time are also known for high-scoring games. Oklahoma, Kansas, Texas Tech. Now, I know you can't just look at the final scores, but the stats say the final score really wasn't a fluke in those games. Iowa State's defense is really good. I think Iowa State's defense is the best in the Big 12. And, you know, this is an Iowa State team that is third in explosiveness allowed, which I think is really key because TCU does get a lot of big plays on offense. Now, TCU is uh, pretty injured, like Parker said, and we'll see if they can be quite as explosive. Uh, here this week, TCU's defense has shown a lot of progress, too. I think a really well-coached defense. They're third in the Big 12 in yards per play allowed. I think that would surprise some people, especially uh, the way they were giving up yards and in chunks earlier in the season. And as good as Iowa State's defense is, they think their offense that bad, right? I mean, how, how bad is this offense? Absolutely no running game. To say that they miss Brees Hall is like a massive understatement. And Deckers, uh, there was some talk about he could be a good quarterback. I mean, he's average at best. Uh, they really lack playmakers around him, so I don't want to be too tough on it. But uh, did, we, you know, did we see Brock Purdy last night? I just have to interrupt and say that just because we're talking about the Iowa State quarterback. That that position is cursed entirely, and Hunter Deckers is the next another generation of guys who's like, you should be good, and you keep doing crazy things. Brock Purdy had just a uh, very impressive broken play that almost went for a first down last night. It's almost like it's the style that Matt Campbell recruits for that for that position. Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely fair. And Campbell talked up Deckers big time. Like he he talked like Deckers was going to be a superstar. I'm still waiting to see that. So let's see let's see what happens. But I, I think TCU would be fine with a win and getting out of this game. Kind of um, you know they just they just want to win and move on. Iowa State's offensive line is terrible. Um, I think that'll probably show in this game too. I like the under here, so I'm going to take under 47 and a half. Most certainly for TCU, it is survive in advance at this point in the season. And Kyle is going to make it official. He's riding the under 47 and a half here. Get some guys healthy. Get ready to rock and roll next week against uh, likely the Kansas State Wildcats. But obviously that remains to be seen. Moving along, we are headed. That's right. Back to maybe our favorite conference, the Sun Belt. App State heads to Georgia Southern. And this is deeper than hate. App State is a five-point road favorite, juiced at minus 115. This one's 6 p.m. Eastern time, and it's going to be on ESPN+. The total sits at 63 latest lines at BetUS. This one, of course, down in Statesboro, Georgia. App won this game last year 27-3. to Parker, I'm going to start with you here. Uh, these two teams, 2-2 two and two straight up against each other. Uh, App is 0-4 against the spread against Georgia Southern in the last four. Georgia Southern has lost three straight games. They need this one to get to a bowl game. 
the running backs, green and white, uh, they are leading the number 26 rushing success rate offense over the last five weeks. Uh, Georgia Southern is number 51 in PPA per drive on offense, but they're number 110 uh, in points per scoring opportunity. They just cannot seem to finish drives. Uh, what do you see between the Mountaineers here who just got bowl eligible against ODU and, of course, Georgia Southern? I can't wait to see what Kyle says about this game because I have a guess because I have this total at like 66 points. Um, and I, these defenses are like huge split. App State, 36th in offense, 96th in EPA per play on defense. Georgia Southern, 27th on offense, 118th EPA per play defense. Of course, those on opponent adjusted, but still those splits are absolutely huge. A couple key things that stand out that I'll be watching for. One, um, App State, very good on early downs on offense, 42nd in early downs EPA. Georgia Southern's defense, 124th. But App State regresses substantially in third and fourth downs. They're 43.2.21%, which is 51st overall. Um, and Georgia Southern's defense is technically better in uh, fourth down, third and fourth downs than they are in early downs. Their 46.1 is 101st compared to that 124th. So um, I, I, I think that App State has an advantage just because their weakness on offense has been that kind of third uh, and fourth downs. Uh, but with their early downs ability, I think they should be able to exploit this Georgia Southern defense. Uh, on the other side of the ball, one thing uh, to note, Georgia Southern has the 128th worst uh, starting field position. Uh, they, they've been so bad, 25.7, barely better than a touchdown. But they've generated quality possessions at a pretty good rate, 56.9%. They're finishing them at a terrible rate, though. They're 77th in the in finishing those drives. Really balanced on offense. Doesn't look like they have either the scheme or kind of the, the red zone dude to finish these, defense, uh, fin finish these defensive drives. They are passing a ton. They're eighth in rush rate over expected. 12.5 percentage points fewer than the average team uh, and App State's defense when they've struggled has been against the pass 103rd in EPA per pass so I think there'll be a lot of points here I think this will be um, kind of a white knuckle hold on for dear life whoever has the ball last is going to have a chance to win the game should be a really fun one um, I, I slightly have Georgia Southern covering my numbers right on the line there so no lean either way but um, would lean to this being pointsy I, I tend to agree with you. App should have an absolute mismatch when they have the ball. Number 18 in rushing success rate. Number 14 in offensive line yards. And Georgia Southern, number 108 in rushing success. Number 131, dead last in offensive line yards allowed over the past five weeks. Uh, Kyle, I mean, let's move over to you. This this total, 59 and a half, moved all the way up to now 63. Uh, and yet I still feel like that may not be enough here. Uh, what, what do you see between these two? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish it would have stayed at the 59 and a half or 60, certainly. But I, I do like the over in this game. Uh, App State's been really disappointing this season. Remember, we should probably be talking about an App State team that's trying to be bowl eligible here. They're six and five. They won that game against Troy. Five and six probably is what they should be. And then A&M. Uh, and then A&M, that's true. And, <laughs> and at first, we thought that that was an amazing win. And now it's like, well, you know, it's just beating A&M. Uh, Georgia Southern uh, looking to become bowl eligible in that one. I wasn't really trying to throw shade at A&M there. But um, the wheels have fallen off a bit lately at Georgia Southern. Um, they've lost three straight. The defense is a major liability. Uh, they gave up 36 to a weak Louisiana offense. They gave up 41 to Georgia State. They also gave up 38 to South Alabama, which is not really a high-flying offense. I think App State can score in this game. I think they'll score quite a few. Mountaineers still have a good offensive line. Uh, they're ninth in havoc allowed on the offensive line. Chase Bryce is going to have plenty of time to throw here in this one. The running backs will have a lot of holes. I really think App State scores quite a few points. The question is how many will Georgia Southern score? And App State, they've 
perennially been a really good defensive team in the, in the Sun Belt, right? We're used to them being either first or second in total defense in the Sun Belt. They're seventh in yards per play allowed um, in conference action this year. The secondary is a major problem area. And if you have a bad secondary and you're about to play a team that's throwing it around constantly, 61.2% of the time on offense, Georgia Southern is throwing the football. So um, I think that's second most in the country. Uh, they're going to sling it around in this one. I think they'll have quite a bit of success. I know Van Trees didn't look good last week against Marshall, but Marshall's a really good defense. I mean, that's a big difference from, from App State. Um, Georgia Southern is an even worse defense in the Sun Belt. So they're the single worst defense. I think both offenses are going to look good here. I hope there's not rain. I do see it's at least a question mark in this game. But I think both offenses look good in this one. I'll take the over. I like it. Let's make it official. Kyle is going to roll with the over 63 in, of course, the deeper than hate rivalry. Uh, this one, I'm going to be excited to have this one on one of my screens. Uh, I will admit that. Moving along to the SEC. That's right. We just talked about them. Texas A&M. The Aggies are hosting LSU. And LSU, a 10-point road favorite at Kyle Field and College Station. Just unbelievable to think that that number would be that high uh, when in the preseason it was closer to, uh, I believe, 10 or 11 in favor of Texas A&M. So 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. Uh, this one, you know, the total sits at 47.5. It latest numbers at Bet US. LSU won this game last year in the Ed Orgeron finale, 27-24. to 24. Uh, That one, of course, was in Baton Rouge. Kyle, I want to start with you here. LSU is 8-2 and two straight up, 10-0 and oh against the spread against Texas A&M in the last 10. But you look at this LSU team recently, they are 2-5 and five against the spread on the road, 3-9 and nine against the spread against teams with a losing record. Uh, A&M, however, 0-4-1 against the spread in their last five games overall. Uh, Josh Williams, the running back for LSU, questionable again this week. But this has kind of turned into the Harold Perkins show. That's what everybody tunes in for. Uh, this team does, you know, just enough on offense. And then they let Perkins run around uh, like his hair's on fire after the quarterback every play. Like every third down or fourth down, whatever it is. Uh, A-Chain and Evan Stewart look like they could be back for A&M. Uh, but Kyle, I'm curious your thoughts here. Uh, Connor Wigman has looked okay, maybe great at some points. Uh, but man, they, they allow number 89 and have a great this what is the motivation for this A&M team here I, I'm very curious Cal yeah I mean I was going to say that what's the what's the motivation for A&M here I mean that program is in a bad spot right now the fans cleared out last week against UMass uh, 20 points against UMass that's certainly a bad look um, I don't know how you could bet A&M in this game I, I think it's you know I wasn't terribly high on Jimbo Fisher and A&M from the beginning but I never would have thought it would go this badly um, and LSU has benefited from several top teams losing lately, Tennessee most recently. The Tigers have a shot now. I mean, I know they have a, they're up against it as far as who they're going to have to play. But uh, Jaden Daniels has been spe spectacular lately. I'm really impressed with him. Um, you know, 93.5 PFF grade last game against a UAB defense that is pretty good, at least for, for a, you know, a smaller team like that. Uh, LSU has played a much tougher schedule. And LSU certainly pointing in the right direction. Well, I have no idea what I'm going to get from Texas A&M in this one. So I lean LSU here. I'm kind of the same way as you are. Uh, it certainly 
looks like LSU was trending in the much better direction. A&M looks like they just want to get the season over with. Parker, uh, let's get your thoughts here. LSU's offense, number seven in PPA per rush, number two in rushing success rate over the last five weeks. Uh, that A&M defensive line, though, has actually looked okay at stopping the run. Number 33 PPA per rush, number 28 rushing success rate allowed. But, of course, you do have UMass tossed in there, so uh, maybe not fully opponent-adjusted there. Uh, give me give me some thoughts here, Parker. What do you see between the Tigers and the Aggies? Let's talk to opponent adjustments. I think that's a great segue. Uh, LSU's offense is 13th in opponent-adjusted EPA per play. Uh, Texas A&M's defense is 33rd out of all G5, or excuse me, out of all P5 teams. Um, on the other side, LSU's defense is, is worse than their offense, uh, but they're still 26th in the uh, in the uh, Power Five in defense. Texas A&M's offense is 48th. Um, just just not very good at all on either side of the ball for Texas A&M. Huge motiv- motivation gap here. Texas A&M, best case scenario, is 5-7. and seven, um, And there's so many bowl teams, it doesn't even look like they'll get, you know, APR or whatever and, and, and backdoor into one. Um, I, I really think that Texas A&M is, is um, wayward. And LSU has everything in the world to play for. 11-2 and two with an SEC championship and a win over Georgia. It's going to be hard to keep them out of the playoff in that way. I think that Brian Kelly knows that. I think that would be extremely Brian Kelly to go to LSU in his first year and become the first 2-2 loss team to go to the college football playoff. But they're legitimately playing really, really well, um, you know, uh, against Arkansas, certainly some schematic things on on um, offense that they weren't pre- prepared for. Um, I think that Jaden Daniels mobility probably mitigates anything the Texas A&M offensive or defensive line has just because he's so versatile. Um, uh, one thing I like to see is they're mixing in a nice balance of, of play action and no play action. He's 70 percent completion on no play action though 12 of his touchdowns um he's able with his mobility and the threat of him running to make those linebackers and those safeties take a second look and and kind of impose his own play action just by being so mobile so really like what they're doing with him um and i think that they have a huge motivation gap here we saw what texas a&m did last week against massachusetts just wasn't great i'm gonna go with the tigers in a statement win i'm gonna take them to cover on the road i like it let's make it official parker Riding LSU minus 10. Can I disagree with it? Can I disagree at all? Uh, let me go and remind everybody, we've got quite a few people watching. We certainly appreciate all of you. Of course, I see Lee, Julius, Joe, Josh, uh, a bunch of Jays in the chat. We appreciate you guys for being here each and every week. You guys are, of course, the lifeblood of the program. So thank you for being here. Of course, share the show out. Tell your friends about it. And while you're at it, go ahead and hit that like button. That, uh, that certainly helps us out as far as the algorithm in the YouTube world, whatever it is. Uh, but that thing is vitally important to a, uh, a show's growth on this channel. So go ahead and uh, and hit that. Now, we are moving right along. We got three more games to hit before we jump into Q&A, and I am excited about this. Oklahoma heads to Lubbock, Texas to take on the Red Raiders. Texas Tech is a two-point underdog at home. The total sits at 64 at Jones AT&T Stadium. This one uh, is, of course, uh, the latest lines brought to you by BetUS, of course. Oklahoma won last year, 52-21. to Oklahoma is 10-0 straight up, 7-3 against the spread against Texas Tech. They are 3-0 against the spread in the last three games. Uh, but Oklahoma, in their last six against winning teams, they are 1-5 against the spread. They are 2-6 against the number against Big 12 teams. Texas Tech is 5-2 against the spread at home. Boy, what a season would it be if Joy McGuire's bunch is able to get a win against Oklahoma in the season finale. 
but I am not so certain. This one is uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on FS1. Kyle, I want to get your thoughts here. Uh, Eric Gray did not get to 100 yards last week against Oklahoma State. It was the first time since the Texas game. This Texas Tech's defense is uh, is number 23 in stuff rate, number 11 in standard downs PPA allowed over the last five weeks. They've looked pretty good. Tyler Shuck is healthy. Uh, he's been good the last couple of weeks against Kansas and Iowa State. Uh, what do you see here between the Sooners and the Red Raiders? Yeah, I mean, I think Texas Tech's defense was propped up a bit by Iowa State's offense being bad. And obviously, Iowa State got stuffed on fourth down twice near the goal line. Uh, so they could have scored more points. So 422 to 246 in yardage last week for Iowa State, and Texas Tech still gets the win. Um, I thought it was interesting to see that Texas Tech had 36 rushing attempts and 21 passing attempts last week. I know it was a little bit windy, and Iowa State's a good defense, but that still surprises me. Uh, I think Tyler Shook will look better in this game, but Tech's probably going to have to score quite a few points in this one. Oklahoma scored 28 points in the first quarter and then just shot it down on offense. We're never really threatened. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. I saw 28 points in the first. I wasn't watching that game. Uh, see the score come across in the fourth and still says 28. I thought maybe it was a, a an error on the, the score at the bottom of the screen. But Oklahoma's 49th in net yards per play margin. Texas Tech is 87th. Um, my lean here would be Oklahoma, and over is also my lean. I think Texas Tech will score a lot more points here. I think Texas Tech will give up a lot of points in this one in a game that should be fast-paced all the way. I, I think you're right as far as fast-paced is concerned. Uh, Parker, let, let me slide over to you on this. Oklahoma has kind of flipped over the last five weeks. Uh, they were number 86 in PPA per drive on offense. Defense is number 24 in PPA per drive. Uh, something maybe to watch for Texas Tech's running game against that Oklahoma rushing defense. Uh, Oklahoma's rushing defense, number 78 rushing success allowed. Texas Tech on offense in that metric is number 34. There's certainly ways that both of these teams can score here, uh, and it may not be what we were used to from the beginning of the season. What, what do you see here? I'll say that Texas Tech has, um, has, has really impressed with their ability to kind of get out of their own way. And like they let Iowa State beat themselves last week. And that's there's that's something to be said about a program that's saying, hey, we might not have the guys we want in place right now. Um, the, the the big thing that I'm that I'm 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 watching for this is is kind of twofold. One, Oklahoma's rushing offense is legitimately good. Over the last couple of weeks, Oklahoma has normalized. They are um very bad without Dylan Gabriel, which I think was a concern. There were some issues on the defensive side of the ball, but it looks like they're really kind of leveling out and just being a decent to okay team, which we thought would be their floor with turnover this season. They're 23rd in EPA per run. Gray is an absolute monster. Texas Tech is 80th in EPA per rush allowed, and Tyree Wilson broke a bone in his foot and will be out uh, on the defensive line there. I think Oklahoma does not have to get fancy on offense. I think they can run the ball, quick passes with Gabriel, run that really, really typical, um, what some of my friends call a BS offense that takes a lot of pressure off of the quarterback and lets your playmakers make plays. On the flip side, yeah, I love leaning towards an over here, Kyle. I think that Texas Tech does a really good job of getting the ball in space. They don't run a lot, even as they are efficient at it. They're 23rd in rush rate over expected minus 7.1 percentage points uh less than the average team and they throw a lot of screens a lot of short passes they want to get their guys the ball and kind of let them go oklahoma's been terrible at tackling in space so even as oklahoma's rushing efficiency has been 104th on the season a lot of that i think has to do with tax uh with um with tackling issues um 
that have been not not necessarily resolved, but at least mitigated partially. I think Texas Tech, if they weren't uh, if they were playing for a bowl here, might have a little bit more of a spark. But I think Oklahoma's normalizing. Brent Venables certainly is playing for the future. They know they have Jackson Arnold coming in and and a bright future ahead, uh, potentially on offense, kind of fixing some of those things. Uh, with Wilson being out along the Texas Tech offensive line, I think Oklahoma is going to be able to run as much as they want against this Texas Tech team. So I'm going to take Oklahoma and the two points. I think the first time that I'm betting on Oklahoma uh, to win all, all, all season as a favorite. I, I could roll with it. I can understand. Uh, my numbers are, are much closer to a pick em, but you just look at this Oklahoma team and the way that they have developed through the season, especially when they have Dylan Gabriel at quarterback, uh, and they're not bad. They're not bad. Uh, this one, of course, rough road environment, but Parker is going to make it official. Oklahoma to cover two on the road. We got two more games to discuss. Let's move it out west. Let's talk about Notre Dame and the Fighting Irish are a five and a half point underdog at USC. Uh, the total sits at 64 and a half and the Irish and the Trojans. I mean, this thing has become a massive, massive game at 730 p.m. Eastern time on ABC. It's at the Coliseum. It's in L.A. Of course, they do that weird split where when they play at Notre Dame, they got to play it in October when they play at USC. They have to play this thing around Thanksgiving because USC, I guess, is worried about being cold. Uh, whatever. Notre Dame won last year, 31 to 16. Notre Dame, seven and three straight up, five and five against the spread in the last ten against USC. I mean, this thing's just kind of gone back and forth, back and forth. Notre Dame is 13 and three against the spread on the road against winning teams in the last 16. USC is five and one against the spread in their last six against winning teams. So the trends seem to go both ways. Parker, I'm going to start with you here. Notre Dame is tough to figure out, but that running game should have no problem with that USC defense. Over the last five weeks, Notre Dame number 11 in rushing success. USC's defense is number 130 in that metric. Notre Dame number 19 in standard downs PPA. USC defense number 109. Notre Dame will be able to stay ahead of the chains here. USC coming off that big emotional spot last week. Uh, Parker, what do you see here? Notre Dame's offense is... Um... 67th in uh, EPA per play, but they are 28th in success rate. That's key to me because uh, USC's defense is 109th in EPA per play, but 123rd in success rate. So Notre Dame's not necessarily winning with big chunk plays, and USC's not necessarily getting burned on big chunk plays. What's happening is teams are consistently moving the ball against USC. Um, I think that actually speaks to a lot of USC's turnover luck, um, is that they are just uh, have been avoiding the big play, and they're able to make teams kind of consistently move the ball um, uh, against them there. So I, I'm inclined to believe that Notre Dame's stretch of physicality here, I thought it was an illusion with Syracuse and and against Clemson they have shown us that they are physical and once they kind of have their identity once they took some onus off of their quarterback have been able to play a little bit better this Notre Dame defense 15th in EPA per pass 75th in EPA per rush a little bit worried because there's a split there I think that teams are are rushing against this Notre Dame defense um, but overall the unit has improved their 27th in EPA per play um, the, the one thing that will be interesting to look at is, um, USC's third and fourth down defense has just been atrocious. 125th in the nation, Notre Dame, much better on third and fourth downs, especially with running. They're going to play three yards in a cloud of dust. They're going to try and make this game as unsexy and boring as possible. Um, 
in the last couple of weeks, they've been really effective at just slowly kind of doing the Python and dominating their um, opponents with, with some physicality. Uh, certainly a huge test for USC. I had this very close to a toss up. Um, the reason I'm not going to play Notre Dame on the road here is just because USC's turnover luck has been absolutely absurd this season. They're good for a weird defensive score. And um, if we are, you know, playing the the audition, we've, we've seen this season Lincoln Riley score with very little time left and then dramatically alter the uh, the outcome of a game. So um, should be should be a good one. We'll be watching for Notre Dame's physicality and what that tells us about USC uh, in national competition as they play for a Pac-12 uh, or as they go on to play for a Pac-12 in a playoff. Appearance. You you mentioned Notre Dame wanting to make this game unsexy. Uh, that's almost impossible to do with the play of Caleb Williams because it is a lot of fun to watch this guy play. Thirty three touchdowns, three interceptions, and Kyle. You know we'll move to you. Caleb Williams lives for these kind of moments. It seems like, uh, but at the same time, with as good as that passing game has been for USC, Notre Dame's defense the last five weeks number two in PPA per pass allowed, number four passing success rate allowed. They are number nine on passing down PPA. This Notre Dame defense looks like it could be the kind that would be up to the task here. I mean, we saw what they did in week one against uh, Ohio State, and it appears that they have just done nothing but get better as they move along. Remember what they did against the high-flying North Carolina offense. Uh, just gave up a bunch of points late, but they, they ran out early in that one. Uh, what do you see going on here, Kyle? Well, at first, I think uh, the chat has been fired up about this game. I like the the back and forth in the chat. Um, I think it is fair to say that Notre Dame's last five opponents could skew their numbers a bit. You know, I mean, only Clemson of the last five teams that they've played has really been very good. Um, having said that, Notre Dame has definitely improved. I think Freeman's a good coach. Um, USC's defense is not great against the run or the pass. Uh, I think uh, USC has plenty of weaknesses in general, but they've been able to hide those with the plus 20 turnover margin. Um, 18 interceptions is just insane. Uh, Drew Pine really hasn't been that good of a quarterback, but he only has three turnover-worthy plays. So if he needs to keep that up this week, they really can't afford to turn it over. Um, Notre Dame has been pretty good against the the run and really good against the pass. Uh, the number is right about where it should be, in my opinion. And honestly, I could see a lot of different scenarios in this game. I see Julius is talking about the money line for Notre Dame. It would not shock me to see Notre Dame win outright. I, I think there are uh, definitely scenarios where that could happen. But it's not going to really surprise me if uh, USC wins by 17 or 20 or something like that. So I think too much variance on a game like this, a game that I don't really want to bet, but I really want to watch it. Same here. Same here. My lean would be towards Notre Dame. I don't feel good enough about it to actually play it. So we have no official plays on this one, but uh, but there are certainly leans on it. We've got one game left. Let me go on and remind everybody, please like the video. That is the most important thing you can do for us, and we don't ask for a whole lot. Uh, and while you're at it, get ready for bowl season. We've got championship week next week. We've got Army-Navy game after that, and then we've got bowl season heading into the playoffs. And we still got a lot of football left. Uh, it may be the end of the regular season, but if you've not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and make sure, again, and like the video, that thumbs up button down there. All right, moving, or, well, not moving, but staying in the Pac-12. This is a very, very interesting game. The Apple Cup, Washington, heading to Washington State, out to the Palouse at Martin Stadium in Pullman, Washington. 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Washington is a two-point favorite with a total of 61 on the road at Washington State. Look, Washington State last year won this game 40-13. to 13. Kyle, I'm going to start with you on this one. 
Washington is 6-1 and one straight up and against the spread their last seven against Washington State. Of course, the majority of those were against Mike Leach's teams uh, when Chris Peterson was the coach. They've had Jimmy Lake the last couple of years, and of course last year, very end of the season, uh, it was an absolute drubbing in Seattle. Uh, I said after last year's game that I was immediately going to bet Washington here, no matter what the number is, because of what happened at the end of last year. Wazoo stormed Washington's field. They planted their flag. Uh, it was it was a bit excessive, but it was a lot of fun if you were a Cougs fan, for sure. Uh, Kyle, at this point, Washington is going to know their, their Pac-12 fate. They're going to know whether or not they will be able to have a chance to get into the Pac-12 title game. Uh, what, what do you see between the Huskies and the Cougars here? Yeah, to me, this is a possible underplay. You know, this is one that I would lean pretty strongly toward. I see the line has gone up quite a bit, so I'm going to be looking at this one more later, honestly. Under 61, uh, I think, is getting pretty high for a rivalry game where um, Washington State looked like they'd be a good over team before the season. They're 9-2 and two to the under. Um, their defense is better than their offense. They do throw it a lot. They're not that high-flying passing attack with shootout scores that you would have expected. I think the odds makers have had a little bit of a hard time keeping up with how ineffective the Washington State passing game has been at times this year. They are fast tempo-wise, 40th in tempo for Washington, 39th for Washington State. Uh, kind of a neat little note. Both teams have thrown the ball on exactly 57.8% of their plays. Um, kind of weird that they'd be exactly the same, but Washington State is almost uh, exactly 50-50 pass-run splits their last couple games. That's probably because they were winning, but um, at least somewhat interesting that they've been running a little bit more. Washington is plus 22 in sack margin, which I think could be pretty key here. Um, Washington State's offensive line is a big weakness, and if you're throwing all the time, Washington has a good pass rush. Uh, I think Washington will get after the, the uh, quarterback quite a bit in this one. I don't really have a lean on the side. I know the guys do, so I'm just going to say strong lean to the under for me. I, I could certainly see that, especially with Jake Dickard's defense. I could definitely understand that. Uh, Washington is 2-8 and eight against the spread on the road, but they are 4-1 and one against the spread after a spread win, which is what they had last week when they completely demolished Colorado, just destroyed. Uh, Washington State 5-0 and oh against the spread in their last five at home. They are 13-3 and three against the spread in their last 16 against Pac-12 competition. Uh, but man, Michael Penix has been awesome for weeks now. Uh, Parker, the last five weeks, number 17 in PPA per drive, number eight in offensive success rate. Uh, the running game is even number 12 in PPA per uh, rush. Like this Washington offense has been rolling with Kalen DeBoer and bunch. And Washington State has feasted on turnovers, uh, but Washington only has eight turnovers on the season. People talk about USC's turnover luck. Uh, Washington does not turn the ball over. They don't beat themselves. It's really surprising. They've won their last two road games against Cal and Oregon. They have now won five straight games. They are looking for their 10th win and a possible pack to a title berth. I like Washington in this spot, especially because of the motivation from last year's game and, of course, trying to get to the pack to a title game. Parker, uh, what, what say you? Well, gravy on motivation for me as well. I think either you're playing for the spot in the Pac-12 championship game or you're auditioning for one of those New Year's Six at-larges with that Oregon win in your back pocket. So um, pretty big, I, I think, overall there for in, in favor of Washington. Um, I, 
I want to take time and just do one last Michael Penix Jr. appreciation thread because, again, I liked him so much in Indiana that year, and then it just kept getting worse for him. And he's really found a situation where he can thrive. His pressure to sack rate is 3.8%. That means that, like, less than, less than you know, five in 100 of his pressures are, uh, are, are, are sacks. Like, he's really mobile, a, a good at extending plays. Um, you know, adjusted completion percentage of 75.5 on an average depth of target just under 10 yards. Doing great, thriving, really, really fun offense. Washington has actually overtaken Oregon as number one overall in EPA per play on offense when you adjust it for opponents. They're fourth in the pass, they're ninth in the rush. Kyle, I wrote down because you mentioned the um, rushing differences here. Uh, I have a, the rush rate over expected. Washington State is third, Washington is fourth, both rushing uh, more or both passing more than 13% more than the average team in any given situation. So some nice symmetry there as well. Um, Washington's defense has not been great. Some of that, if you look at the average metrics, though, you've really got to take into account pace of play, how many plays they run and how fast they run plays. They're really good at finishing drives, 10th on on offense um, and on on defense. They are 113th. But uh, Washington State has not generated quality possessions at a good rate at all. They're 63rd um, in, in, in echo rate and they're 38th in points for quality possession. But what that really just means is that when they're scoring its big plays, they really haven't been able to generate these kind of sustained drives. I don't know that they'll be able to keep up with Washington here. So you throw the motivation from this year, you throw how I think Kalen DeBoer is absolutely capable of um, wearing a chip on his shoulder that maybe he didn't necessarily inherit from the last year's game and motivating his guys. And you look at just the split at how dynamic this Washington offense is, how many plays they run, and and how relatively slow and inefficient this Washington State defense or offense is. I'm going to ride with Washington on the on the road here to cover. I am doing the exact same thing. Give me the Huskies to cover the two. Uh, I, I like what Washington's doing here. I understand uh, we did have uh, Joe jumped in the chat, I believe, and said uh, it's going to be cold and maybe a little windy late night uh, kickoff on the Palouse. He said weather helps boring Big Ten adjacent defensive philosophy of whiskey native Dickert. Uh, agreed. I do think that they're going to be pretty good. But uh, here's a stat that maybe maybe we focus on a little bit. Washington's defense over the past five weeks, is number six in points per scoring opportunity. They have done a pretty good job of stopping the other teams from finishing drives. I think Washington can finish drives here. I think they're going to be fired up after the way that Washington fan, or Washington State fans acted at the end of the uh, the game last year in their own house. So I look for Washington to get a big bit. Remember, there's a lot of guys left from that team. I know the Penix came from Indiana. But there's a lot of Huskies left on that team that were there through the Jimmy Lake stuff. So I... This one looks big to me. I, I like the I like the Huskies big. So official for Parker and myself on that. Now we are headed into Q and A, but let me go on and tell you we want to hear from you. Uh, once we're done with the show, put your picks in the comments. We want to know what you guys are doing this week. Um, I, I just I'm really very curious to hear what side you're taking on some of these games that we've discussed but also where you maybe see an edge in some of the other games. Along with that, make sure and like the video, subscribe to the channel, and uh, and yes, it is time to get rolling with uh, the Mac. We're going to talk about the Mac first, Mac action. All right, first off, odds boosts. Let me go on and pull this up and explain exactly what the situation is. We have two odds boosts for tonight's Maction games. Miami of Ohio to win by 13-plus points against Ball State. It was plus 350. It is now plus 450 over at BetUS. And we have got Ohio to score 40-plus points in their game against Bowling Green. That was plus 275. It is now plus 350. So you've got a couple of odds boosts regarding the games tonight. 
but let's go in and talk about it. Let's talk first about the MAC East Championship game. Bowling Green at Ohio. That line is sitting at Ohio minus 7, the total of 55. There is a chance that Rourke plays. Apparently, the quarterback at Ohio, Tim Albin, came in and talked about it in his uh, uh, press conference, I believe, yesterday, and said, yeah, like it's it's a little better than we thought it was. There's a chance that he could play, which I think is why this line is just sitting right there at seven, um, because I've got Ohio favored by double digits if uh, <laughs> if if he's playing. So I I don't know exactly what the value of Rourke would be uh, if he's not playing. I'm probably going to ride with Bowling Green. So we'll wait and see exactly what happens as the teams come onto the field tonight. But I'm I'm real curious. Uh, Bowling Green's second leading wide receiver, uh, Broden, he is questionable for this game. He did not play in the last one. Kyle, let's start with you on this. What uh, what are your thoughts here on on Bowling Green and Ohio? Well, Bowling Green comes off that massive win over Toledo. They're big rivals. Um, you would definitely say that this is a tricky spot for them. Although both teams are playing for a lot in this game, so. Um, I think Ohio is quite a bit better than Bowling Green, but I hate to bet Ohio without knowing if Rourke is playing because he's their offense. So, uh, you know, we've had a lot of quarterback question mark situations and injuries, and this is one of the biggest ones I've seen. Um, If he's playing, I'd like to bet Ohio here. Like you said, Gary, this number would be bigger if he was definitely going to play. And um, as far as the total, I think it's a tricky total. 55 is about right. Bowling Green's offense a bit better than it used to be. Um, a better defense than most in the MAC, at least. Um, I want to take Ohio, but I can't without knowing about Rourke. I'm the same way, Parker. Let's let's get your thoughts on this. Uh, there is a chance that Scott Leffler could be coaching in the MAC championship game next week, and I don't know that we would have ever thought that to be possible. So, what uh, what do you see here? <laughs> Life is a gift, and sometimes fun things happen. Uh, the the big issue for me with Bowling Green's defense, which I think has been much uh, decent, been fine, been not even Mac adjusting, like not good for the back. Just they're good. They're fine. Uh, 49th and EPA per play, 54th and EPA per pass, 48th and EPA per rush. Uh, Ohio has been much better against the pass, 12th and uh, 104th in, in, in EPA per rush on offense there. So a really big split for what Ohio is able to do. If you kind of knock their legs out from under them with work being out, this offense can go south in a fast. It, it, it goes south uh, very, very quickly um, overall. I think that um, this will be fun to watch just because Ohio's offense with work is – uh, again, pretty decent, not just for the Mac. They're, they're, they're doing all right. And so them versus Bowling Green Stevens will be interesting to watch. Um, I've heard conflicting reports about Rourke, so I can't even, I don't even want to lean aside. If, if you find out Rourke's not playing, go for Bowling Green. Uh, but generally, again, my philosophy with the Mac is bet the underdog and enjoy yourself. So I could understand it. I could understand that. I'm, I'm just going to wait and see if Rourke comes out on the field. If he's warming up, I'll toss some pizza money on it. We'll roll from there. All right, uh, the battle for bowl eligibility. This one's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. Ball State heads to Miami of Ohio, and that one has jumped up half a point since we've been doing the show. Miami of Ohio now favored by two and a half. The total sits at 45. We got questions here as well. Is Gabbard going to play quarterback or not for Miami of Ohio? And then on the other side, Ball State running back Carson Steele, uh, he's questionable with a concussion last week. Both of them are questionable. Both of them could play. Maybe. Uh, and there's been nothing. I mean, just absolute silence from those two programs. Kyle, uh, is there a way to handicap this game without knowing either one of those guys? 
Well, I mean, getting good injury information in the MAC is next to impossible. Um, I think Carson Steele is probably a bigger loss for Bowling Green than, than Gabbert would be uh, for Miami. State. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we've talked about so many teams today. Uh, Ball State, <laughs> I think he's a he's a massive loss. And Miami, Gabbert, um, he was out quite a bit, right? And Avion Smith was pretty good. I mean, they were still a competitive team. I think I lean the under in this game. And if I had to bet a side, I would take Miami, I think. Um, I think Gary and I are both in the same spot here. We both have Ball State under five and a half wins. So I got to think about this one here before tonight to see if I want to do anything about that. But um, I think the under is my favorite play. Yeah, that's it. the the higher that this this number gets. Mm-hmm. You know, if this thing hits three, I might put a little bit on Ball State money line just to hedge. Uh, but we'll, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see once we get closer to kickoff. Parker, uh, what do you see in this? You know, we we had been talking quite a bit about Carson Steele and the fact that he might not play in the finale is certainly a big blow to this team. Uh, but both of these teams, only five wins. Whoever wins it gets to go to a bowl game. Uh, what, what do you see here? Yeah, I, um, I I don't even know that I have a lot of insight, especially with Steele out, because my numbers with Steele in have this closer to a toss-up. So I could certainly talk myself into Ball State uh, with, with him. But... Um, huge contrast in styles, you know, Miami rushing the ball, uh, 5.8% more than the average team. That's 106 most, most in the nation. Uh, ball state is, is slinging it around their 25th and rush rate over expected minus seven, uh, 6.7. Um, what, one thing to look at will be with that, especially without Carson Steele, how can ball state finish drives? Um, Miami's defense has given up a lot of quality possessions. They're 72nd in quality possession rate, but they're 22nd in points per quality possession, 3.44, compared to Ball State's uh, 3.92 on offense, which is 72nd. So without their best weapon, are they going to be able to, one, get scoring opportunities, but when they do, are they going to be able to make them count? That's something to watch for there that I think will prove to be decisive. I I like it. I like what you're talking about. All right, we're going to move out of there. Let's move into a rapid-fire version of the Q&A. Scott Young wants to know about Western Kentucky and FAU. This one is FAU at home, uh, which is a different team than what you typically see uh, from them at, uh, or excuse me, on the road, as we saw last week. Uh, Western Kentucky is favored by seven, juiced at minus 115, total of 61. Uh, Parker, I'm going to ask you about that one first. Uh, Give me some thoughts on WKU and FAU. I wish I had off the top of my head the tweet I saw like two minutes before we got on show here. Somebody was talking about FAU in November and how they've just like kind of been pretty bad down the down the stretch. And there was a good poll. Maybe I'll retweet it if I find it. Um, their defense is not good. And Western Kentucky's offense is, is very good here. Um, I'm I'm at like eight and a half, nine points before home field advantage. Just looking at my raw numbers here for Western Kentucky. So if I had to pick a side, I think I would take Western Kentucky here, um, especially because FAU basically is just like beaten up on bad teams this year and crumbled against good teams. I think that Western Kentucky could could very, very easily um, run away with this one. I am in the same boat. I uh, I like Western Kentucky quite a bit. I've got them favored by nine and a half. And uh, and now that they've already lost to Auburn last week and their season win total hit the under, uh, now I'm totally fine with them winning games. So, give me, <laughs> yeah, I like Western Kentucky there. <laughs> uh, we've got a question here from Benjamin Borich. I understand that the losses over the last few weeks don't make sense from a technical evaluation. Have any of these results caused you to reevaluate your handicapping metrics or weightings? Uh, Kyle, I would love to get your thoughts on this. And then, I, uh, Parker, I'd love to hear from you as well on it. Uh, this is a, a pretty interesting question. Uh, what, what do you think? 
about maybe changing your process when you accumulate more losses. Do you ever do that? Uh, because I, I don't know that you should, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'll try to be quick on this because you could talk about this for a long time for sure. But um, I think you got to be careful because, you know, like if you flip a coin 100 times, you could get heads 65 times. Uh, does that mean that it's any more likely to be you know, heads the next 100 times you do it? Um, there's plenty of variance in these games. And I, I do think it's a bit easier to win earlier in the year when it comes to betting college football, especially in that uh, week three, four, five time frame when we have just a little bit of data on them. Um, the odds makers are pretty sharp by this time of the year. But I think if you go trying to change your style, you know, in the middle of things, I think that's dangerous because, you know, you're looking at variants that you could easily go 0 and 7 on a certain weekend or something. And it doesn't mean you're a bad handicapper. It doesn't mean that your numbers are bad. Uh, if you try to reinvent the wheel during the middle of the season, I think it can be really dangerous. The off season would be the time I'd want to look back and say, okay, here's what I think I did right. Here's what I think I did wrong. Uh, the other thing I'd keep an eye on is, are you beating the closing line consistently? Because CLV does matter long term. And I, I'm afraid to say that because I know that Twitter gets in some pretty heated debates about CLV, but it definitely does matter. Uh, so no, in general, uh, you know, recent results don't make me uh, want to change uh, the way I'm doing things. Most certainly. Parker, uh, you, of course, have a a fun model over at CFB-graphs.com. Uh, I don't think that you necessarily change how your model runs based on results from, you know, the middle of the season or even the end of the season. Uh, I don't think you necessarily change the way that you would handicap a game based on other games, because as you and I have talked about, the ball is oblong. It bounces funny. You can't really predict turnovers. And uh, these kids are humans. Like humans have different motivations week in and week out. Who knows about the psychology of each individual player? That's kind of tough to put into a model. Uh, a model is basically just the baseline of what you were uh, looking at for a ball game. So what, what do you say to this one? Yeah, I'd say definitely don't change your process in season. If you're losing really bad, like if you're like, hey, I'm 20% ATS every week and I'm, I'm not like, oh, I got a bad bounce and this one was the right process and I can understand why I'm losing. Something's off. Like obviously check your data, check your sources and all that. Take a week off and paper trade and just be like, hey, am I doing something weird? Like what's going on? Make sure you can always you know, step away and you're not ever risking so much that if you have a bad weekend, your life is over. Um, and so, you know, be responsible with all of that. Just, just stakes are very important. Um, I think paper trading is really important. Just paper trading, meaning just like, Hey, write down some plays you like and see how they did. Uh, and, and say, did, did that do well um, specifically? And maybe you can take some of the stakes out and evaluate your process every off season. I'm back testing. I'm tweaking. Uh, the fundamentals are the same, right? I know what's important, but do I have better ways to capture that? Do I have ways to respond to, you know, uh, the, bookmakers who follow me on Twitter who are doing things the, to counter that as well um, and account for that same information that a lot of, you know, a lot of people are doing. A absolutely. So uh, always be tweaking, but save your tweaking for the off season. Generally do a bunch of hard work and say, I'm going to trust this process. And if at any point you think, Hey, I'm, I'm super low. Maybe your data is bad. Maybe you're, maybe you're just in your own head, take a step back, paper, paper trade for a week and, and take a deep breath. Cause it'll, it'll be all right. You'll in the long run, the, the, the variance will even out. Most certainly. All right, so let's roll through some of these other questions. Uh, Wavy Womack jumps in. Uh, thoughts on San Jose State and Hawaii. Kyle, uh, Hawaii is a 15-point underdog at San Jose State. This Spartans team appears to have just fallen apart. The total sits at 57.5. And Hawaii uh, looking pretty good here lately. What, what are your thoughts on this matchup? 
I wouldn't want to lay the points with San Jose State. I mean, they're they're really not looking good here of late. I know they had the really bad tragedy in the middle of the season. Things haven't gone very well since then. I'm not saying that's why it is, but you know, San Jose State is not the team that we thought they were in the middle of the season. I don't feel highly qualified to say what I think is going to happen with San Jose State because they're one of the teams that's really baffled me throughout the course of the season. I will say Hawaii's been playing pretty good lately, uh, and they've been scoring points, um, maybe an over, maybe leaning toward uh, Hawaii here for me. We had another question here for North Texas and Rice. Uh, Parker, North Texas is a 14-point favorite at home against Rice. The total sits at 60 on this one. Uh, what what do you see in the numbers on this? I have North Texas by about, oof, yeah, by about 13, 13 and a half points. So just under that line. Um, the offense is legitimately good, and Rice's, Rice's defense has been pretty bad, even when they've been good. Um, one thing that would make me be a little bit wary of North Texas is that Rice is 36th in rushing EPA per play and North Texas is 120th in rushing EPA per play allowed. So I think that Rice could potentially move the ball on the ground against this defense, but the exact same thing on the other side could maybe wash that out. North Texas 21st in EPA per pass compared to 120th uh, EPA per pass allowed by Rice. Um, I certainly don't love betting Rice on the road. And so real time as I'm processing this and looking at my information, I think I'd be inclined to take North Texas um, at home just because I'm, I'm at about 13 and a half. And so I would trust I would trust North Texas on the home at home more than I would trust Rice on the road. I Yes, Yes, I, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, by the way, Kenneth Collins jumped in and wants to know, uh, so who needs a win to play UTSA in the Conference USA Championship next week? He said, I know North Texas beat Western Kentucky. Well, that is the situation here. Western Kentucky plays FAU this week, and they need a win, and they need North Texas to lose to Rice. Uh, otherwise, North Texas is going to play in that championship game, um, at least from everything that I can tell, uh, looking at the standings, et cetera. Florida Atlantic is still 4-3. and three. There's a possibility if they get a win over Western Kentucky, then, you know, North Texas would fall back to five and three. I mean, it's this thing's a little wacky. It's a little wacky, but regardless. All right, uh, let's let's move along. We've got some more questions that we need to get to. Uh, let's see. Revenue Tie 78 said, do the Huskers shock Iowa on Friday or do they at least cover? Kyle, you know, I'm coming to you with this one. Uh, look, I, my thoughts are that. Iowa is going to absolutely blow them out of the water because I don't know that there's a whole lot of motivation left for Nebraska. But, I mean, 10 and a half uh, with a total of 38. Eh, it's in Kinnick. It's uh, it's a late afternoon game, so it's going to be nighttime when the, when the game ends. And Iowa makes no logical sense to me whatsoever. Like, I don't know how they continue to win with that offense, and yet they do. Kyle, Kyle what do you see in this one? Honestly, Gary, I, I think Iowa makes no logical sense. It's just the best way to describe the team. I mean, honestly, it is. They are so good defensively. I've said this before, but I feel bad for the defense. I mean, if they had a good offense, I would be really tough. Uh, they're put in bad positions consistently. Uh, I've watched Iowa too much and seen that bad offense too much to bet Iowa minus 10 and a half. I can't do it. Um, I think maybe a Nebraska team total under, if you if you like Iowa here, would be the way to go. Now, it's going to be really low, obviously, but I think Nebraska team total under would be the way I'd look. I don't think Nebraska will score very many points here. I just don't want to trust the Iowa offense. I'm I'm with you. I, I don't I don't trust either one of these teams. <laughs> uh, Kenneth Dalton jumps in. Does Texas take care of Baylor? Uh, the Longhorns are favored by eight. 
Uh, Parker, what do you think about the Longhorns here? So one feature of my the way I think about football and my model and my numbers is that like I'm not going to give you credit for kicking someone when they're down. So like if you're a really good running team and a obviously inferior team is not a very good running defense, I'm not going to give you a ton of credit for running all over them. So Texas last week, you've got to take that result with a grain of salt. Um, I think that Baylor... Baylor played for for the TCU game um, a lot. I think the Kansas State game directly suffered as a result. We saw that they were running all sorts of different looks. um, And Dave Aranda has been talking about getting younger guys in there. Baylor, um, I I think it's an argument to be made that Baylor played, uh, you know, had the opportunities to win that game um, by by maybe uh, more than one possession had they connected on a couple issues. Um, I don't think Texas's offense is anywhere near as potent as TCU's. And I think that Texas's defensive front is... um, different than uh, TCU's and not necessarily, uh, I don't think are worse at, at all. I think Baylor is going to have to attack differently than it get, did against TCU. But um, I, I, I would be inclined to, to bet on Baylor here just because they've had two bad results and that doesn't really feel like, um, it feels like they've left money on the table in both of those situations. So I would actually lean towards Baylor um, or or nothing in this game. I I could totally understand that. Uh, we've seen Texas do this multiple times at the end of the year where uh, there's not a lot to play for. Texas looks really good when there's not a whole lot. However, uh, we did see them lose to Iowa State, you know, back in the 2020 season. Uh, at the, I mean, they were just right there. Just, uh, <laughs> it was absurd. Um, let's see. Does Kansas State beat down Kansas to get to the Big 12 championship? Uh, I will answer that. And uh, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> easy enough. Trent jumps in. Trent Kunkel jumps in. Q&A, uh, West Virginia plus 8.5 against Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma State's been atrocious as of recent. Is there reason to think that West Virginia covers? Kyle, what do you think about the Mountaineers here uh, plus 8.5 against you know the Cowboys coming off of a rivalry game where they were hoping to be better than they were, uh, but that offense just looked awful last week. Maybe West Virginia is the cure for, uh, for the not-so-good offense, but I- I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, but but you kind of question West Virginia's motivation in this game too. I mean, they're four and seven. Um, I'm not excited to bet either of these two teams. I think I would bet the over if I had to bet this game, thinking there will be points here. Um, you know, I, I just don't have a lean as to who I'd want to trust in this spot. I don't think situationally it's a very good spot for either team. Uh, I think the offense has probably went out. Yeah, I could, I could certainly understand that. It, I guess it all depends on if they want to try and save uh, Neil Brown's job. But I, I mean, with them firing Lions, the AD, just a couple weeks ago, I, I don't know that that's something that can be saved. Uh, Throw a dog a bone TV says, can the loser of Michigan, Ohio State get in the CFP if USC or TCU runs the table? Uh, I don't believe so. And I believe strength of schedule. Like, it may be if Ohio State is the team that loses, and it depends on how the loss looks. But if TCU and USC run the table against those schedules, eh, I don't know that the strength of schedule for Michigan would keep them in it. And I maybe Ohio State, like you could point at Notre Dame uh, and Penn State, et cetera. But it, it's tough to uh, it's tough to put them in if you've got USC and TCU on a run. Um, Deb Moore jumps in. Oh, any thoughts on tonight's game? Nope. Uh, Austin Miller, thoughts on South Carolina versus Clemson. Parker, uh, what was that Spencer Rattler performance last week? Like, <laughs> we didn't even talk about it. But uh, just a... A debacle in Columbia for Tennessee. Uh, South Carolina goes on the road to Clemson this week, and they are 14 and a half point underdogs. 
Yes, 14 and a half point underdogs on the road with a total of 52. You got thoughts? The funniest thing about the South Carolina win over Tennessee is that, like, there was no special teams involved. It wasn't, like, <laughs> the way that South Carolina has been winning all year. They didn't win. They just ran it absolutely all over, threw it all over um, a really bad Tennessee secondary. Um, uh, you know, I think in terms of offensive quality, Clemson's certainly not anything like uh, like you're going to see from Tennessee, but this defense is so much better. And I, I don't know that, one, you get an emotional letdown spot with South Carolina. Two, they're on the road. Three, this is a real a real Clemson defense that has real stakes for their season. Um, I'm not sure that I'd, I'd bet on South Carolina to do it again, even if I do have them at about nine points Uh as opposed to that that 14 um if you're looking at this situationally i think there's a lot to lot to shy you away from that kyle kevin jr jumps in he said army versus umass uh 19 and a half point spread with a 45 and a half point total um i think i think kevin has listened to us in the past where we talked about totals around 45 uh with a massive massive spread you typically want to take the dog uh i want to hear your thoughts here because i I would lean towards UMass because I like their rushing defense. Like Don Brown is pretty good against the service academies. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts, Scott. I mean, this is definitely a sicko special here. I mean, <laughs> UMass, you know, we love those. Um, I kind of like under if I had to bet something. And if you kind of like the under, then I think you have to kind of like UMass here because that's just a lot of points. Um, am I excited to bet UMass? I'm not. Uh, I just think that UMass is going to stall. Uh, try to play really slowly. Uh, like you said, UMass has actually been decent run defense, and they do have a really good defensive mind as their coach. Um, yeah, I kind of like uh, UMass and uh, the under both, but as you can tell, I'm just not excited about that one. Just just leans for me. It's really difficult to get excited about that <laughs> at all. Uh, we've got, let's see, we're going to hit two more questions. Um, Joe Schmo wants to know if... You know what? I'm going to answer this one. Harold Perkins Jr. should be a Heisman candidate. He said, what if Go Tigers knock off Georgia in the SEC championship game? Uh, it will be very difficult. I believe, Parker, you said this earlier. It's going to be difficult to keep LSU out of the playoff as a two-loss SEC champion with wins over Georgia and Alabama, etc. cetera. Uh, but it really depends on what else happens. Like if USC and TCU run the table, if Ohio State is undefeated, uh, do you put LSU in over Georgia? Maybe. Uh, but it, it, at that point, things get really crazy. So let's just let's just see if LSU beats Texas A&M this weekend, and then we'll worry about everything after that. Uh, let's see. I'm going to toss this one over to you, Parker. Uh, Joe Maddie says, SMU and Memphis thoughts. Uh, I will go on and tell you that this one is pretty important for, uh, I believe, a certain head coach in this matchup. Uh, Memphis is a four and a half point underdog on the road. The total is at 69. And I believe that's actually come down because if I remember correctly, it was at 70 on Sunday. So, uh, so yeah, total of 69 with four and a half being the spread. You got thoughts on the Tigers and the Mustangs? Yeah, I'd be inclined towards towards Memphis on the road, just the way the splits work. Um, Memphis has not been very good at, at rushing the ball on offense, but they've been very good at passing, and SMU's defense really can't defend either. Um, I think we've seen that that teams can score at will. Um, the, the one thing to look at is 
um, a, a huge split for Memphis's defense, 88th in EPA per pass, 25th in EPA per rush. Um, SMU really does rely on the rush game a lot. They're, they're 62nd in rushing uh, efficiency, 53rd in rushing success rate. So if Memphis can defend the run and, and kind of make SMU unidimensional, especially as they're playing the younger quarterbacks, um, I, I think they could keep this close. There is certainly the motivation factor for Memphis um, and a little bit of um, – yeah, positioning for SMU. I think I saw Tanner Mordecai said he's he's gone for next year too. Just as a fun bit of trivia, uh, he's going to go to the NFL. But um, uh, we'll we'll see if Memphis can kind of pass consistently enough against a pa- bad pass offense to um, uh, or bad pass defense rather to to keep this one close. Uh, Memphis does have a huge field position advantage, uh, especially starting. Memphis has averaged uh, 32.1 uh, starting field position. That's 11th in the nation. SMU's defense is allowing a 31.4 average starting field position, which is 106 in the nation. So Memphis should have plenty of opportunities to be um, ahead of the chains and on their short field. Um, I'll say diplomatically, they have the opportunity to to take care of business here. Um, that would be my lean as SMU with, or excuse me, Memphis with some points here. I could I could certainly see that. A very, very important game for the Tigers to win for one Ryan Silverfield, I would think. All right. If you have any other questions, you can always reach out to us on Twitter. Of course, our handles are right there on the screen uh, at multiple times during the show. And, of course, they are in the description as well. So reach out to us there or, of course, jump in the comments. Uh, we would like to know all of your picks. We want to know your thoughts, any questions you have. We will do our best over the Thanksgiving holiday to uh, jump in there and take advantage, not take advantage, excuse me, uh, jump in there and, what's the word I'm looking for? I went blank. Oh, we're going to try and answer your questions. Jeez, good Lord. All right. Hey, let's go on and do our picks recap. Let, let's get me out of here. <laughs> All right, Parker, give me your best bets for Thanksgiving week. I have so many. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with Florida State minus nine and a half, Coastal Carolina plus 13 and a half. Oregon minus three, LSU minus 10, Oklahoma minus two, Washington minus two. It's chalky, but it's Thanksgiving. I like it. I could understand it totally. You and I do have some similar bets. Uh, well, really the same bets. I like Tulane plus two at Cincinnati. I will take Florida State at home minus nine and a half against the Gators. I will take Coastal Carolina plus 13 and a half on the road at James Madison. South Alabama minus 15 and a half at home against ODU. And I will take the Huskies. Washington minus two on the road at the Palouse. Kyle, what have you got for us? I'm going to take Utah State plus 17 against Boise State. And then I'm going to take Oregon and Oregon State under 58. Iowa State and TCU under 47 and a half. And App State and Georgia Southern over 63. Very, very nice. I smell a winner this week that is not turkey. I'm telling you, it is winners. Uh, I feel good about about this last slate. Uh, of course, we do have championship week coming up next week. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. Make sure, and of course, like this video uh, as we are getting ready to roll out of here. Don't forget about the odds boosts for tonight. If you want to take advantage of those, go over to BetUS. Uh, let's see. Subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to the podcast. Jump in the comments. Let us know your picks. I think that's all the notes. Oh, and the World Cup Bracket Contest. Take advantage of that. Uh, advantage of that. That's the one I was talking about taking advantage of earlier. The World Cup Bracket Contest. You can find more information over at BetUS.com. With that said, it is time for us to roll out of here. We hope that you all have wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving holidays with family and friends, etc., and that the football is good to you. That's what we're looking for this weekend. So with that said, for BetUS, where the game begins, God bless college football, and we'll see you all again next week.